Championship. Well, 60 men, three rings. Careers could be made, careers could be ended. But I'm more concerned to see what Rowdy Roddy Piper is going to do when he looks right into the eye of Hulk Hogan. Well, we have a feeling we know what Rowdy Roddy Piper is going to do, Dream, because he says he will be here tonight to finally sign the match. Why has Eric Bischoff continually attempted to stall this contract from being signed? That's my question. And my other question to you is, will Hulk Hogan finally sign this tonight, or will he back out of it? Well, Piper picked this opportunity to pick a fight. Now he's going to bring his contract himself into flesh right out here at WCW where the big boys play. And Hulk Hogan, the question is, will you step up to the plate and accept this challenge from Roddy Piper? Because anywhere there's a fight, we're going to have a lot of fighting going on here tonight. I guarantee that much. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the Southern Front of Wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me... <laughs> As always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Uh, fine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a terrifying day, Dave. There's bombs flying. Uh-oh. There's bullets whizzing. No, no. It is the day of World War III. It's a good thing we're down here in the, uh, the official 20 Years of Nitro bomb shelter. Yeah. <laughs> It was a wise investment. Weird. They laughed at me, Dave, but <laughs> right. who's laughing I, now? I, I laugh too, but yeah. <laughs> I still got my seat, so. All the other podcasters are on the other side of the blast door banging to get in. <laughs> right. And we're laughing as their skeletons are vaporized in <laughs> nuclear fallout. We're all stocked up on <laughs> spam and different versions of spam. <laughs> Before we get into today's show, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out at Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. 
And of course, you can email the show at 20yearsofnitro at gmail.com. Today is November 24th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the gorgeous Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia, in front of a sold-out 10,314 fans, 7,018 of whom paid for a total gate of $118,000. Now, they were actually turning fans away at the door for the show, uh, and the only reason that they had that many comps, about 3,000 as I said there, uh, is because they had ran a local promotion last month where everyone who ordered Halloween Havoc on pay-per-view got two free tickets to World War III. Oh. I think that was one of those things set up before they realized how hot they were going to be at this time. Yeah. Uh, so the that lowered the gross of the attendance revenue by about 20%. Hmm. They could have made a lot more money had they not done that promotion. Uh, but the good news is they've, they've got everyone in for the show. It's a sold-out uh, show. This is... This is the second show for WCW in the scope uh, of, of the Nitro era anyway, the first of which being last year's World War III pay-per-view. Okay. Uh, they're pretty <laughs> consistent at this time period we've seen. I believe Starcade next month is in Nashville, just like it was the year before. Mm-hmm. They're pretty consistent at this point about doing uh, their pay-per-views from the same arena every year, which yeah. I kind of like. I think that adds like sort of a... It adds the special attraction element of it for me. It's not just another show that tours around. Yeah, and, and Halloween Havoc is typically in Las Vegas. Yep. Uh, Fall Brawl is usually um, like Winston, Winston-Salem, something yep. like that. I think you're right, yeah. Uh, we have Sturgis for of course. Hogwild yep. and Roadwild and all the different names they call it. It really just gives the pay-per-views a specific identity, and I think that's something that I really like and something that's missing from modern wrestling to a degree. And I, and I suppose if you're... Uh, like a company that wants to build, wants to make sure that these places are packed, people will know plenty in advance, like how to right, plan yes, for it. Yes, that's it's like, true, yeah. Okay, it's got to be this weekend. It's got to be at this arena. You can plan plenty ahead for that sort of thing. Now, last year's event was the first ever World War III. Uh, the main event was a 60-man battle royal, just like it will be tonight. Uh, last year, it was for the vacant WCW championship, mm-hmm. and it was won by Randy Savage. Uh, it also had Hulk Hogan's weird promo on the Observer. Yep. Um, so tonight, of course, it is for uh, a future WCW Heavyweight Championship match, which should be noted. And this will just be for future World War Three Battle Royals. It's an undisclosed date. Yes. It, yes. They have at times said it's the next person to fight Hulk Hogan for the title, and I'm actually gonna. That's gonna be important. I want, but I want to talk about that later. Okay. Uh, first, I want to run through the card for tonight. We are going to get the Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio for the J-Crown title. Mm -hmm. Chris Jericho with a hand tied behind his back against senior referee Nick Patrick. Uh Uh-huh. The Giant versus Jeff Jarrett. Uh Uh-huh. Harlem Heat versus the Amazing French Canadians with the stipulation that should the Heat win, Sister Sherry will get five minutes in the ring with Colonel Robert Parker. Dean Malenko versus Psychosis for the WCW Cruiserweight title. The Outsiders versus the Faces of Fear versus the Nasty Boys in a triangle match for the WCW Tag Team titles. And, of course, the aforementioned 60-man three-ring battle royal for a future WCW Heavyweight Championship match. In a dark match before the show, Laparca defeated Viano 4 in his uh, in Viano's WCW debut. Uh, reports from the building were that that match was very good uh, and that it had a very hot crowd, which makes sense because I feel like um, in the first half of the show, specifically, the live crowd is very, very hot. Yes. To open the show, we get a pretty cheesy opening video that runs down the card. 
Uh, it feels a lot more like a bad commercial than a video package. Yeah, and I found I found the audio was a little bit off. Oh, really? I don't. Not, not that I, I noticed. Not I not off as in like it didn't match up, but like just the quality. It just seemed very poor quality. Ah, sure. Audio where it just it was a little bit unpleasing to the ear to hear. So yeah. Um, but no, it 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 definitely is very low rate looking and sounding. We get uh, some pyro as a little airplane graphic drops little <laughs> bomb letters. <laughs> like it drops the letters that welcome <laughs> us to the show. It's very cute. I think it's it's funny. It's uh, I always love when it's Halloween Havoc and it's like, like spiders and ghosts and stuff. Yeah. Having a little plane drop letter bombs is <laughs> infinitely funnier. Right. And like lower rent somehow. <laughs> right. <laughs> And and it, it probably, for some people, very offensive, too. <laughs> I suppose. I didn't even think of that. Tony Schiavone gets the show underway, and Pyro explodes in all three rings. Tony is joined by Dusty Rhodes wearing that big leather red jacket that he loves wearing, especially on pay-per-views. Yes, he does. Uh, and, of course, Bobby the Brain Heenan. It's like um, it's like when Tiger Woods wears uh, like red on Sundays. <laughs> yes. It's, that's, his, that's his Tiger Woods red there. Shivani hypes the battle royal that's going to take place in, quote, three gigantic rings. <laughs> <laughs> These are standard size rings. I, I as uh, often I don't know what Tony's talking about. <laughs> There's, there was a there was a point during the actual battle royal where I was like, why couldn't it just be a one big ring? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing if they just right. had a huge ring for one pay per view. Right, right. The singles matches before it would be hilarious. Exa- that's that. Because immediately I was like, "Well, oh, that would make sense because it'd be hard for the singles match." And then I was, then I said, "Wait, no, that would make those awesome." Yes, because they wouldn't know what to do with a <laughs> giant ring. <laughs> and it was as for point of reference of when we were recording this, WWE just did fifty men in one ring, and clearly adding another ten would be problematic. Sure, yes, especially since I think WWE rings. If I can't, if I'm not misremembering i think they were a bit smaller i never remember one of the companies uses a 20 by 20 and i think the other is 16 by 16 and i never remember which is which i I feel like wsw had the smaller rings maybe i i feel like embarrassed and that i should know that i'm on my wcw podcast (laughs) so i assure you by the next nitro episode i will have looked that up (laughs) uh speaking of tony dusty and bobby i think it's funny that their names on the Chiron are just displayed as those. There's no last names. Yeah. It's just Tony, Dusty, Bobby. It's very funny. Listen, it's World War Three. We got to know each other on a name-to-name basis <laughs> for our survival. Bobby is most interested in what happens with Piper tonight. Shivani, who walked out of Nitro last week, apparently never watched the rest of the show or talked to what anyone... Uh, or talk to anyone about what happened, as he asks why Eric Bischoff attempted to stall the contract negotiations with Piper. Hmm. Like, that was very clear from watching Nitro. <laughs> right. Didn't, no one filled you in? You didn't read a recap or anything? He must have been too busy contacting his family, making sure they knew he was okay, <laughs> and then he got into this long conversation with his wife about whatever. We kick off tonight with Rey Mysterio Jr., who comes out for his match against the Ultimo Dragon for Dragon's J-Crown title. Although David Penzer calls it the Eight Crown Championship. Yeah, close enough. We've talked about the J-Crown a bit. It was an idea by Jushin Liger to unite a bunch of junior heavyweight belts in a single title. Uh, the There was a tournament in early August of 1996 uh, where all guys in the tournament held at least one 
cruiserweight or junior heavyweight, however you want to define it, belt. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the winner of that was the great Sasuke, who defeated the Ultimo Dragon to be the first champion of the J-Crown. Uh, he held the title for a couple months. He was inactive at the beginning, though. We've talked about how he had his head cracked open in the final. Yep. Um, so, But he eventually lost it to the Ultimo Dragon at a WWE excuse me, at a WAR event, war event in October in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to talk, I'm going to run through every single title in the J-Crown. You ready, Dave? Yep. You've got your British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Championship. That was created in England, but made a bigger deal in Japan and was eventually held by tournament entrant Jushin Liger. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, introduced in 1986 and still active today, which was held by Great Sasuke coming into the tournament. Mm-hmm. The NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship, which dated back to 1945 and was held by such names as Vern Gagne, Freddie Blassie, Dory Funk, Tiger Mask, Gerald Briscoe, and Steve Regal. It was abandoned from 89 to 95 until the NWA brought it back in a tournament, which was won by Masayoshi Mategi. So he is in the J-Crown tournament he, uh, yep. holding the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship. He's probably the, the least known name of the people in the tournament, you I'd say. He was someone I was not familiar with before at all. Yeah, I mean, the se- the seven other people, I at least recognize their names yeah. except him. The NWA World Welterweight Championship, which was created by CMLL in 1946 and is currently, or at the time, was held by Negro Casas. Mm-hmm. The UWA World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship, which was created by the Mexican promotion Universal Wrestling Association, uh, and it was held by a few notable names, such as Pero Aguayo. Uh, the UWA actually went out of business in 1995, and Gran Hamada, who held the title, brought it home to Japan with him and continued to defend it until losing it a year ago to Sabu. It eventually made its way to former WCW Cruiserweight champion Shinjiro Otani, who is in the J-Crown tournament. Okay. The War International Junior Heavyweight Championship, which was created in March of 1995, in WAR, it was held by Gato and Gato's sometimes tag team partner, the Lionheart Chris Jericho. Okay. You've got the WWA World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship, which Chris was, which was created by the Mexican World Wrestling Association in 1989 and was held by Rey Mysterio Sr. and Viano Four, and was won by Gran Hamada in 1993, and he has held that all the way until the J-Crown Championship. Oh, bummer. The WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, <gasps> which was created in 1981 uh, by the aforementioned UWA as part of a partnership with WWF. It was held by a lot of the names that we've mentioned before, uh, as well as Chris Benoit as the Pegasus Kid. So that's an interesting thing. He held a WWF title uh, a long time ago. It moved to Japan back in March of 1996 and was held by J-Crown Tournament entrant El Samurai who is the last guy that we have not mentioned yet. The WWF probably does not realize that this title even exists at this point in 1996. They will eventually find out and get it back in 1997 when they decide to create their own division to uh, compete with the cruiserweight division. Uh, Interestingly, the WWE, their current lineage of that WWF light heavyweight championship does not begin until 1997. So everyone that held the belt from 1981 to 1997 uh, is just, like, erased out of canon for that belt's lineage. Yeah, and WWE has done that in the past. And, well, they, I mean, they do it afterwards with, like, re- bringing back the women's championship. 
I was explaining to a friend recently about how weird it is how they do that. It's like um, how they did that with the World Heavyweight Championship when they brought that to Raw in 2002. Yeah. It was a new title. It had no previous lineage. They were very clear about that. Right. It was the big gold belt. Yeah. Uh, because that was when Triple A was Triple H was cosplaying as Ric Flair as often as possible. Yeah. Um, but it and then so it did not have that lineage until they wanted to do that uh, match with Randy Orton and John Cena to unite the titles at TLC like 2012 or whatever the fuck year that was. Right. And then all of a sudden they were like, it goes back to Frank Gotch and all these guys. It was like, yeah. no, it doesn't. What? <laughs> right. <laughs> Or, or when they just were like, we're just going to do a reset of the tag team titles. Yeah. Just just because we want to. Yeah. It's only like only Marvel and DC rival wrestling in terms of like just being weird with what canonically happened and didn't happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, pretty much it's like the Intercontinental title and the world title. Other than that, everything can just fuck off whenever they want to. <laughs> yes. Speaking of comic books, huge comic book fan Rey Mysterio comes to the ring wearing some uh, Spider-Man-inspired gear. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's well-known for doing that, especially at WrestleMania. Um, but I didn't I didn't know that he'd been doing this this long. Like, he came out, and I was like, oh, he's Spider-Man tonight. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. He gets a warm reception from the crowd. Out next is J-Crown champion Ultimo Dragon, along with his manager, Sonny Ono. Uh, by the way, when, when Rey Mysterio was coming out to the ring and he was talking to the camera... He made an indication that he wants to put the, all those belts around his waist. <laughs> Good luck. Which I was like, I hope he wins because I want to see him try putting eight or probably seven titles around his waist. <laughs> his tiny, tiny waist. He's right. like the smallest guy who would be attempting it. Yeah. I get, and I feel like, have we already indicated that like the WWF title just will never show up on TV? Yes, correct. Because of the earlier incident with Medusa dropping the belt in a threatened lawsuit from Titan Sports they are not bringing the WWF light heavyweight title out on TV at all. Right. They, then, like I said, Vince probably doesn't even realize that belt exists, but they are just not taking any chances. Right. That that, uh, that was the other thing I was going to mention, that they're just they're proactively just not making an issue about it. It's nothing that WWF mentioned. Right. Penzer, again, as he announces the Ultimo Dragon, says uh, the eight crown champion. And, of course, he's the one who keeps calling him the ultimate dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that they bill him as being from Tokyo by way of Mexico City, <laughs> which we've talked about Dragon's history in his, his debut. He was considered too small for the New Japan Dojo, so he went to Mexico, became a huge star, and then came back to Japan and was like, how do you like me now? That's that's weird that Japan would have like a size issue. Yeah, back then, that is especially surprising. Or, or I mean, because you go to the dojo to be a junior heavyweight, right? Right. You can, you can definitely do that, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. Liger. for He's not a big guy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there would be, at the time, there's probably a lot of wrestlers that were his size. I mean, it just seems like that that's a weird excuse that they gave him. Uh, of course, he's also not from Tokyo. He's from, like, five hours away. I looked up <laughs> yeah. where he's actually from. Sure. But I think that was just like, look, he's Japanese. We want Americans to be mad at him. We got to say he's from Tokyo. Like people from Illinois are from Chicago. Yes, exactly. People from Japan are from Tokyo. <laughs> exactly. If you, Yeah, if you're from anywhere in Brazil, which is a giant country, I'm sure they would just say Rio de Janeiro. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, this match takes place in ring number one, the leftmost from the hard camera view of the arena. Tony talks about the tension in the arena, saying that there's been a lot of tension in WCW since Eric Bischoff, quote, made his turn 
Hmm. Uh, he then like immediately rephrases it. I think he's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Right. <laughs> uh, they start off with some chain wrestling. Dragon focuses on Ray's arm. Dusty and Tony keep calling him the dragon. Like, I'm not yeah. sure if they remember Ultimo. <laughs> they both go for drop kick and both miss in that spot. where like chain wrestling, chain wrestling, chain wrestling. Both stand up. Both do a drop kick. Yeah. The both... stale- stalemate part of it. Yep, yeah. Yep. And the crowd gets a that gets a big reaction. And I remember specifically that's come up in some other matches mm-hmm. where the crowd hasn't reacted. So either the Norfolk fans are smarter or this cruiserweight style has started to educate fans and people like get these spots now and they know that they're supposed to show appreciation. Sure. Dragon kicks Ray a bunch in the, according to Dusty, belly welly. Mm-hmm. Sure does. We get a middle rope springboard drop kick that sends Ray to the floor where Sonny Ono kicks him. Dusty has a moment of nice continuity talking about Bobby and Sonny's previous financial arrangements, mm-hmm. which were like around this same time a year ago because it was all in the lead up to Starcade. So you- I was like, oh, look at that continuity he was like trying to sell him like main event or something yes, like that yes exactly which is yeah. something that bobby doesn't own that was the end resolution of the storyline was yeah he sold the japanese like syndicated programming spots that he did not own right <laughs> we get a great german suplex by dragon that brings ray back into the ring for a two count dragon gets some stiff kicks to raise back before doing a torture rack like airplane spin combo into a backbreaker dragon locks on a half crowd that gets the crowd behind mysterio he then hits a huge power bomb, uh, where he he hits a big power bomb, then lifts Ray up again like he's gonna go for another, only to drop him over his head into a stun gun on the ropes for a two count. Dragon then hits a spine buster followed by a giant swing. The crowd loves that he gets uh, that Dragon also gets dizzy from the airplane spin. Yeah. He like spins him and then he falls down in the corner and it gets like a massive pop. They just think it's hilarious. This guy's also dizzy. Yeah. Dragon gets a fisherman buster for two. He then hits a brain buster for two. He goes for a suplex, but Ray small packages him for a two. Dragon gets a tombstone pile driver for two. A dropkick sends Ray to the outside. Dragon whips him into the guardrail. This happens behind the announcers who are set up to face ring number two for later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dusty is absolutely like delighted over seeing himself from the back. He's just like, who's that guy in the red coat? Yeah. It's like, yes, that's how cameras work. <laughs> He's just a big kid, and that's, I think, part of why I love Dusty Rhodes. And it's it'll happen every time people go to the ring, not during the Battle Royal, obviously, but, like, I just found it very weird that none of them even, like, look back. They don't even glance over they their shoulder. They don't even yeah. glance. Yeah. It's so it's so weird if, you're, if, you, if you, like, take too much time to, like, look at them directly. Yeah. I made a note that, like, the image of the broadcasting team keeping their back to the floor is, like, bizarre. It made me think of, like, that the three men were actually body doubles. Right. <laughs> and that the real commentators were, like, recording in an undisclosed location. Yeah. yeah. We get a tombstone on the floor uh, from Dragon to Ray, and then a slingshot plancha into a splash on the floor. Back in the ring, Dragon hits a top rope hurricanrana for two, a running sit-out powerbomb for two, Ray then finally comes back in for some offense and goes for a double springboard Arabian moonsault. But in the words of Shivani, he caught more mat than man and only gets a two count. Ray goes for a springboard drop kick that sends Dragon to the outside where he is soon on the receiving end of a Tope Con Hilo, a.k.a. the Silver King dive. Uh, and I want to bring that up just to say R.I.P. to Silver King, not a guy that we've seen yet in our timeline, but certainly a guy... Uh, who will have some good matches in WCW. Yep. 
Dragon climbs back into the ring, and Ray is right behind him with a springboard sunset flip for two. Ray does a handspring into a jump up on Dragon's shoulders, followed by a hurricanrana that really plants Dragon's head right on the mat for two. Uh, it, uh, like, I was surprised he wasn't knocked out or injured. <laughs> he really hit his head. Dragon hits a dragon suplex for two. Ultimo Dragon takes Ray up for a powerbomb, but Ray executes a very nice Toyota roll, going up and over Dragon's head and rolling down his back for a sunset flip, pinning Dragon for a very close near fall from referee Mark Curtis. Mysterio goes for a springboard Huracarana, but Dragon catches him in a powerbomb position. Uh, he doesn't go for a straight powerbomb, though. He bounces him off the top rope, does a 180, and plants him with a sit-out powerbomb, a very impressive move. It's a great finish and indeed gets the 1-2-3. Uh, I thought that particular move looked great mm -hmm. and was a great cap on a 14-minute match that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the only small complaint I would make about that match is that there was a long stretch in the beginning and middle where Dragon had virtually all of the offense, whereas I prefer, especially with cruiserweights, I, I enjoy a little more of a back-and-forth style. Uh, this felt more like almost like a current WWE match where a guy dominates, gets heat, gets heat, gets heat. The nice thing is the way that Ultimo Dragon gets heat is with crazy, fun, high-flying moves. Mm -hmm. It's not just he's not working chin locks <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. But I would have liked Ray to get a little bit more offense in the first quarter of the match. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, I thought this was great. I, I loved it. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was a it was a very good way to start off the show. Um you know, it's not the Cruiserweight title match. It's actually a more important one because it has eight times as many championships <laughs> on the line. Yep. Um, I, I've always been a friend. Uh, a friend. I've always been a fan of the Ultimo Dragon. and I wish you'd always been a friend of the Ultimo Dragon. Right. <laughs> Me too. Um, and and, I, and, and Ray Mysterio Jr. in general, it just seems like the, like the, the set-like opener for yeah. WCW at this time. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I really like this match. Um, it's, it's, it's a little like, it, it takes a little time getting used to like the three rings that they have. Yes, yeah. Especially when like in the singles matches, they, they tend to focus on one ring. Yeah. We saw last year, there was at least two or three matches that moved from ring to ring. Mm -hmm. I don't think any single match night does that. I don't think there's a single one where they move, to a different ring that's kind of surprising because last year that was like kind of a staple and even we see that at fall brawl where they're set up for war games and they'll do some things between the two rings yeah Tonight, like Rey they... Mysterio went like rope to rope to do the Huracarana yeah um, at fall brawl um, I know that the Colonel Robert Parker sister Sherry match goes from ring to ring yes that that's true that doesn't count Yes, um, well, whether or not that counts as a match is something that I have some questions about. Right. <laughs> we'll get to that later. But, um, no, I mean, I, I think of all the matches that they had planned for the show, this was the, the best match to pick to go first. Yes, and I'm excited to see how it may motivate Psychosis and Dean later on. Yeah, I, I, that one is going to be a little bit, I think it will be more interesting because there's like just such a kind of a more unique clash between those two. Sure. Ultimo Dragon and Sonny Ono celebrate with a little Japanese flag and a fan that uh, Sonny Ono has, like a fold-out old-style like Japanese yeah. fan, and it has the Rising Sun printed on it, which I think is very funny. Yeah. And we go backstage to Mean Gene Okerlund. Well, I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heat, and yes, we are back in the locker room area. In a moment, I'm going to be talking to Diamond Dallas Page here at World War Three. 
with a big battle royal coming up a little bit later on. We are on the cutting edge once again at World Championship Wrestling. This time on the internet, yes, cyberspace is taking a whole new look at everything as WCW brings you live play-by-play -play coverage of this spectacular. It's gonna feature none other than Mark Madden and Jeff Katz. You can uh, tune us in real quickly. It's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. It's WCWWrestling.com. We've got 8,000 slots open tonight, so join us on our website here for World War III. Diamond Dallas Page. The last time I can recall, the last time I can recall uh, a rush like this, the kind of recruiting the NWO is doing with you, was perhaps some of those great football teams out of the University of Nebraska. They are coming after you hard and fast. What's the latest? First of all, Everybody wants to hold, get a hold of the best. The diamond cutter is the hottest finish on the planet. But I'm not here to talk about that or any. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page, in all due respect, I don't think you can skirt this issue too much longer. It's a public thing. We've talked about it on Nitro. I've seen the replay last night on WCW Saturday night. I think you've got to address it. You owe it to the people. You owe it to me. You talking about Bischoff? You got it. He's your next door neighbor. Let's put it like this. Diamond Dallas Page doesn't care what's happening in the world of Eric Bischoff right now. You see, DDP's in a world of his own. It doesn't affect me what is affecting Eric Bischoff right now. What does affect me is a 60-man battle royal. World War III, whoever wins it gets a shot at the heavyweight world title. You know, Gino, it's not that long ago that Diamond Dallas Page shocked the world by winning Battle Bowl. Good God! <laughs> That's right, Slamboree. Nobody thought I could do it but me. And tonight, all 60 men, when it's all said and done, there can be only one. Bang! Thank you, Diamond Dallas Page, one of 60 tonight in that big three-ring 60-man battle royal. Did he answer my question? I don't think so. Let's get you back inside the arena. Gene says that WCW is on the cutting edge and cyberspace is taking a whole new look at everything. That's certainly a sentence. It's a very broad statement. He puts over the new WCWWrestling.com. The screenshot they show is of the website and it has Hacksaw Jim Duggan on it. And they've cut it off in a really weird way so that it just says, More features, new, and... <laughs> that's it's really weird like you couldn't have cropped that in any other way you guys yeah apparently the website uh tonight has live play-by-play -play with mark madden and jeff katz gene says that there's eight thousand slots open so i guess because it's you know 1996 they must be worried about too much bandwidth just crashing it entirely yeah so they have allotted there's eight thousand lucky fans who could go and listen to alternative free commentary mm -hmm. for this show i i wish that still like existed somewhere that was easy to find because i would i would love to listen i know guy evans has some weird stuff like this um that he's put on twitter before to like promote the book yeah uh the nitro book but i i i haven't seen this particular one i should dm him and see if he happens to have it because that would have been interesting gene then brings in diamond dallas page gene compares the recruiting of page by the nwo to that of college football players by the powerhouse school university of nebraska Page says that of course they want him. The Diamond Cutter is the best finisher on the planet, but he doesn't want to talk about the NWO. Gene cuts him off. He's a journalist, damn it, and he's not going to let this die, especially given after what happened on Monday. What, you mean with Eric Bischoff? asked Page. 
And Jean says, yes, after all, Paige and Bischoff are neighbors. DDP says he doesn't care what's happening in Bischoff's world, as DDP is in a world of his own. All that affects him is the 60-man battle royal and the shot at the heavyweight title. He says that he shocked the world by winning Battle Bowl at Slamboree, and nobody believed in him but himself. Tonight, there can be only one. Bang. <laughs> I wish <laughs> I wish Highlander had added bang to the end of their <laughs> right. there can be only one. <laughs> uh, it was a good promo from DDP. He's mm-hmm. he's generally a good promo, and he was intense. And uh, I'm getting a little tired of him having to say every week, "Look, I don't want to talk about the NWO." Yeah. Uh, but oh, I thought the delivery was great, and the intensity well, was good. It was it was in character that he tried to do it again. Yes. And that he was caught on it because Gene Oakland as a guy that if he says that, there's credence to it instead of like Mike Tenay or something. Sure. Like that. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I thought that that worked out really well. Where he's like, "I want to move on." And and Oakland's like no 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 no, no. <laughs> yeah, because it's still it, it as far as that storyline is concerned it's not resolved right um, so it no I thought it was a really good interview um you know uh, I was gonna say as far as like w- when talking about like battle royals like this or like the Royal Rumble I I always like to say that there should be more surprising winners that yeah. could that could build off of that and make for an interesting storyline you're right. And when I was watching this show, I was trying to think about at this time with the stories going on, who would be the like the best pick. And I thought I think Diamond Dallas Page would have been like a good pick for a potential actual like interesting winner, especially since he has his angle going on with the New World Order trying to recruit him. And if he suddenly becomes like the number one contender, that could add, add an interesting aspect. So um, I, I'm, just, I'm a big fan so far of how this the storyline's going with the NWO, I don't know if it ever really gets resolved or not. It's I it's, that's just not fresh in my mind, but I do kind of like this idea of someone that is on a roll of their own where they can feel justified and being like I don't necessarily need their help. Back to the arena where a title card announces that it's time for Nick Patrick versus Chris Jericho in a hand tied behind my back match. Mm. Out comes Joseph Nicholas Patrick Hamilton Jr. in a black boxing robe trimmed in white. That sounds sounds like a name of a guy that tried to assassinate the president in (laughs) the 19th century. Uh, He's he's got a black boxing robe trimmed in white, a sleeveless referee shirt, white boots with black laces, a neck brace, and sunglasses. It's a hell of a look. I I'm I was fine with all that except like why would he still be wearing a referee shirt? <laughs> now, I mean that part yeah. was kind of I I would have been fine if he came up with like some wacky like fake like Nick Patrick like uh, merchandise shirt yeah. of some sorts. But I was just like I was like is that is that that's the only thing you are? You're just a referee. <laughs> Hamilton, better known to us as Nick Patrick, is the son of wrestling legend The Assassin, a.k.a. Jody Hamilton, real name Joseph Hamilton. The elder Hamilton worked mainly in the Southeast, largely in tag teams as the Masked Assassins, or simply The Assassins. He won many titles and in the late 1980s opened Deep South Wrestling. During a match, he sustained a back injury that that ended his in ring career, so he became a trainer at the power plant. He trained guys like Kevin Nash, Diamond Dallas Page, The Giant, later Goldberg, and a lot of other WCW stars. He was put in the WCW Hall of Fame in 1994 and also is in the Observer Hall of Fame. Hmm. 
His son, Joseph Jr., wanted to be a wrestler from a very early age, but at an early career moment, he completely blew out his knee, just like a horrible, horrible knee injury. Yeah. He didn't want to give up wrestling, so he became a referee using the name Nick Patrick. He worked first in Georgia Championship Wrestling before joining Jim Crockett Promotions, where he stayed through the transition from JCP to World Championship Wrestling. Tony alludes to a promo that Nick Patrick cut on WCW Pro that aired earlier in this same day, where Patrick talked about how he had a background in wrestling. And I really like that. I like that they are acknowledging, like, just to try to give any credence to the idea that this guy is having a match with Jericho. Right. It helps a ton to say, look, I know he's a referee, but he has a background in wrestling. Right. That that does a little bit to giving some credibility to this match. Right. And in- and uh, and also it's good to do that instead of being like I'm so and so son. Right. Yes. Too, which is lame. This match is in ring number 2, which is in the middle and closer to the hard cam. It's kind of in the foreground. For whatever reason, all the matches on the undercard are in rings 1 and 2. They never do a match in ring number 3. It must have to do with camera angles or something. Probably. Uh Jericho comes out with Teddy Long, uh Bobby I'm particularly annoyed by Heenan uh, insisting that he doesn't know whether or not Patrick is in the NWO. Like, I know Heenan's a heel ref, and he's supposed to protect heels, Mm -hmm. but, like, it's been clearly established he's not pro-NWO. So, like, if it's clear that Patrick is sold out to the NWO and Bobby is pretending like he doesn't think that's true, then Bobby is, like, de facto helping the NWO. Right. Which is counter to his character. Yeah. So, like, they do this whole thing where they're, like, you know, we all know that Nick Patrick is the master referee who helps the NWO out mm-hmm. and he makes calls that favor the NWO. And Bobby's just like, no, I don't I don't think that's true necessarily. Right. It's like, why not? That's not consistent with your character in my mind. Yeah. Referee Scott Dickinson ties Jericho's arm behind his back. Uh, he's new to the company. He's been a ref on the indies for about eight years. Uh, he became friendly with Kevin Sullivan. He called Sullivan to ask about a spot in WCW and he had just basically picked perfect timing because while they were turning Nick Patrick, they wanted to add a couple more friendly face refs. Oh, sure. Because you can't just have a heel referee. and Like, Patrick has to ref less matches because he is a big, big heel. In theory. Sure, yes. So they. I mean, he'll still end up refereeing most of the matches tomorrow, I'm sure. Scott Dickinson's kind of a unique guy because uh, he is a mailman. And he continues to be a mailman. He's not full-time with WCW. So he's, like, on TV. He's used in storylines. Mm-hmm. The entire time, he kept his day job as a mailman. Yeah. Um, I was I was going to mention that because um, it's no surprise that, like, this one arm tie behind your back thing is not a new concept. Oh, sure. It's been done more than once. Yep. But um, I felt like this was a better example of the person actually keeping the hand tie behind their back. Yeah. Because usually, like, I know, like, um, I think Steve Austin had a match or yep. was going to have one against He Vince. did. He did have one, yep. And in which, like, that whole, like, the tying thing just was, like, it didn't work from the very beginning. Uh, but this one looks... I also like, seem to remember tying his hand behind his back. Even though he was okay with it in storyline, he was just all surly and grouchy when they tried to do it. And as I recall, if someone showed me the video, maybe I'm wrong, but as I recall, it took forever to get his arm tied behind his back. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a better example of which, like, even when he wrestles, it doesn't like come loose or fall off or his arm gets on his side or whatever. It's a, it's a a legitimate looking tie. And if you're going to do a dumb match like this, at least do it right. 
Patrick gets his face in the camera and says that Teddy Long had better be ready to throw in the towel. Patrick and Jericho start off by getting in each other's faces and jawing a bit. Patrick shoves Jericho, who with one hand pushes Patrick back into a corner. He then uses his arm to sweep Patrick's leg out under him and Patrick falls. The crowd is kind of hot. There's, there's certainly they're reacting to this. It's not nearly as loud as the hot action of the opener, but it's not silent or awkward as it could have been. And it's very, it's established very early that he, that Nick Patrick's going to be comically selling. Yes. A hundred percent. Patrick charges into a hip toss and regroups on the outside, complaining about his injured neck. He takes his sweet time getting back into the ring as Jericho gets a loud Patrick sucks chant going in the crowd. Patrick wants a test of strength and Jericho works it into a hammerlock. Patrick selling is loud and hilarious, like you just said. He's going for comedy selling. It's a hand tied behind my back match. I'm totally fine with comedic selling. I think it's appropriate for the situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Patrick manages to counter into a hammerlock of his own for like a second until Jericho counters back into his own hammerlock. That was the that was the first indication that he knew what he was doing in the ring. Yes. Because like reverse a hammerlock into your own hammerlock probably appears easy, but I'm sure is not easy. And the fact that he did it pretty Yeah, he did smoothly. Pretty smoothly was like, oh, right. He he's been in the ring before. Jericho gets Patrick with some kicks and then another hip toss. He comes off the ropes, but Patrick bails to the outside again. Teddy Long now gets in Patrick's face. The two end up shoving each other. Scott Dickinson warns Long about getting physical with Patrick. Jericho wants to do some kind of spot as he walks over to Dickinson, grabs him by the arm, says something to his ear, and then just walks away. It's like the most clear, like, hey, ref, I need you to go tell that guy something that I've ever seen. Yeah, I miss that part. I miss that spot. Jericho blocks a couple of lefts from Patrick before Patrick realizes that he should just punch with his right, since that's where Jericho is defenseless. (laughs) He blocks, like, four left-hand punches, and then Patrick finally is like, oh, of course, the hand tied behind his back. (laughs) He connects and stumbles Jericho. Chris slaps him back, and Patrick rolls to the outside again, but Jericho is tired of that and just goes and rolls him immediately back into the ring, where he stomps on his toes and clotheslines him. Patrick again goes to the outside, and Jericho now comes off the apron, driving his shoulder into Patrick and selling him sprawling. Patrick shoves Jericho into one of the corners where two of the rings meet, so he kind of hits two different guardrails. Yeah. He then charges, but but Jericho moves, and Patrick splats into both guardrails. Jericho then charges for a clothesline, but now Patrick ducks, and Chris's good arm that's not tied up hits the steel. Patrick takes advantage to get the heat, He hits some kicks and strikes and then rolls Jericho into the ring. Uh, Bobby is, of course, supporting the hell out of Nick Patrick now, and Dusty and Tony start questioning his loyalties, whether he's with WCW or the NWO. Patrick hits a flying mare, which is probably the most impressive move that he hits in this match. Yeah. That's, you know, it's pretty physical to, like, run and flip over a seated guy and grab his neck while you're flipping. I thought that was impressive. The announcers don't really sell it at all, though, which sucked. Like, they're busy talking about Piper or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, that happens and there's no reaction. Like, you'd think they would even, like, laugh and be like, wow, I can't believe Nick Patrick can do that. Yeah. But they, it's like they didn't even see it. It's very annoying. Patrick hits some very shitty punches in the corner, but Jericho punches back. Patrick runs into a big boot. The crowd is dying at this point. It started off getting some reactions. It is now silent. Jericho gives Patrick ten headbutts into the turnbuckle then a back body drop. Patrick tries to escape again, 
Uh, Tony, little inside joke, says, that's right, go home and see your daddy, Nick. Ah. That's as kind of close as they ever get to uh, mentioning that. He was waiting the whole match for that, too. <laughs> Patrick gets in some kicks, and then, oh, God, no, heads to the top rope. I was seriously worried when I saw him. I was like, look, everything you've done has been decent except for your punches. Let's not push our luck here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jericho gets up, though, grabs Patrick by the neck. So it basically goes to the top, much like Ric Flair goes to the top. Yeah. He's going up there just to get thrown down. Jericho then hits a super kick, which finally ends this goddamn thing, just shy of nine minutes. Yeah. This would have been a surprisingly good five-minute match where I would have been like, oh, that was much better than it had any right to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick did a, a flying mare and he did reverse a hammerlock. And other than that, he just sold and sold and sold for Jericho, which is what he should have done. Mm-hmm. The fact that this lasted nine minutes, like it really, like I know Jericho was on offense for 95% of the match, but it still does him no favors to beat a ref, even with an arm tied behind his back. Yeah. If it took him that long. Right. That was just forever. They could have cut, at least 75% of the times that Patrick rolled to the outside to stall. There was way too much stalling. I think it could have been like three to four minutes long. Um, that yeah. was around the point, because like, there was certainly a point at the beginning at which the fans were into it, Yeah, but then it went way too long. Um, I feel like really this whole match felt like a favor to Nick Patrick, mm. to, that he could go in the ring and show that he still is able to like do some wrestling moves. I think what it is, personally, I think what the issue is, is they are, um, they've everybody that's in a match night is doing double duty and they're in the battle royal. So I think they're just trying to like book things where they don't have to use their biggest names before that battle royal. Sure. Um, like last year, that's why we got the Japanese women tag match mm-hmm. on the show. And like you see that a lot in like Royal Rumble shows or these shows, um, not Royal Rumble anymore, but in the 90s. Where, like, they would bring in people from outside the promotion. Just, like, we've got all hands on deck in our main event. We need you guys to just eat up 15 minutes of this pay-per-view. Right. And this, I think, I think they're just eating up minutes. And Mm -hmm. that's why, A, that's why the match exists. And, B, that's why it's so goddamn long. Yeah. As they're like, look, we've got everybody coming out later. Just get out there. Kill 10 minutes. We'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. I, I would say for Nick Patrick and Chris Jericho, they both put in the best effort you could imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there, I have no co- issue with like the effort that they put into this because yes. this could have been a, a stumble fucking mess. Yes. And both of them, I mean, you can you can tell that Nick Patrick has like taken bumps. Yeah. Like you, you get the idea that he knows what, like going to the top. That was the other sign to me that he was. Because I didn't really look into his history, but like mm-hmm. his his reversing the hammerlock and then going out to the top and being thrown off without injuring himself. Yeah. Um, and then also I like the fact that Jericho beat him without one of his finishing moves. Sure. Because he shouldn't have to use a finishing move in order to beat a referee. So That's the a fact good point, that he just yeah. like he he catches him with a kick, and I'm pretty sure this was the only cover in the whole match. Like, yes. Yep. Which is also good. And Patrick. Yeah. Patrick never even got a one count, which is good. He shouldn't. Right. So, yeah, I agree. I agree that the the way that they structured the match was as good as can be, given that they had this length of time they had to go. Yeah. And I think both men did as as good as they possibly can be. Right. And 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 I think like the the parameters they set up, like we're just mentioning, were good as well. So, um, 
I mean, I, I if it was only like three or four minutes, I actually might have been a fan. Yeah, I would of, agree. The, of the match, but it just was way too long. Um, I I can see your point as far as like they just needed to eat up time, so it really wasn't their fault. But but again, it's just that you can have all the reasons you want, but in the end, it's just not a match that's that's very interesting to watch for yeah. eight or nine minutes. So. That's fair. Uh, given all that, I'm surprised then that in his book, Jericho says, quote, things fell apart when the rope tying my arm came loose and I had to pretend it was still securely fashioned. It didn't matter anyway, as the announcers hardly commented on the bout. They were too busy plugging for the NWO. Uh, I never saw the rope get loose. If that's the case, Jericho did an expert job covering it. He's a pro. It So I'm surprised to see him be that hard on it and say like it fell apart because of that, because it to my eyes, it, that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. Um, so he's either maybe misremembering, maybe he hadn't watched it at the time he wrote the book, or maybe he's just, uh, you know, had really high standards and felt it didn't deliver to those standards. But I also thought that though certainly the announcers have the reputation, WCW has the reputation of always talking about the NWO and not the action in the ring. Mm-hmm. Overall, I did not feel that way in this match. I Like I said, I complained yeah. that they missed the flying mare. But mm-hmm. other than that, I thought they did... I will say, if I were Jericho, that they focus almost completely on Nick Patrick and not on Chris Jericho, right. which is a problem. But it's not that they were ignoring what was happening in favor of talking about the NWO. Mm-hmm. It was just, I think, they were caught up on how humorous they found it as co-workers of Nick Patrick, seeing him in this new scenario. Right. Well, I, I could also see for Jericho, someone asked him, like, hey, you remember this match? And he would say, well, I remember that the rope came loose. Sure, yeah. That that could very easily, that's, like, maybe the, just the thing that sticks out to him is the fact that that rope came loose. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, that obviously he was able to manage it because it, it, I never got the indication in which, like I've said, sadly, there's been more than a few of these matches in wrestling, and there have been far worse examples of that of that rope coming loose, so... Long raises Jericho's hand, and Shivani says that titles are definitely in Jericho's future. The replay shows that, by accident, Patrick's foot was between the ropes on the pin, so if this was a shoot, that pin should not have counted. Oh, right, I'm right. going to allow this. Yes. <laughs> Tony asks Bobby if he thinks that Hogan is going to sign the contract tonight, and Bobby says it's impossible to call, given the egos and the tempers of the men involved. When asked uh, the same question, Dusty says a lot of Dusty stuff that... I think comes down to basically, yes, he believes they'll sign the fight. It's sort of hard to parse exactly what the hell he was saying. Tony plugs the website again as we see Madden and Katz in the background of the shot doing their play-by-play, but we're focused on the foreground where Marcus Bagwell is sitting with what looks to be a 16-year-old intern. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bagwell is shirtless because when you're sitting there telling yeah. a guy what to type in a chat room for you, God forbid you wear a shirt. Right. <laughs> it's It's... I just love any time they're showing these guys on the internet. It's always funny. Like, Buff's not even using the computer this time, but just the fact that he's sitting there without a shirt keeps the comedy alive. We then so go to... You, so you didn't notice who was with Madden and Katz? No. It was the Disco Inferno. Oh, I, yeah, I failed to notice that in the background. Just, he, he was doing some commentary tonight? Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's that was the point in which I was like, oh, that'd be interesting to hear what that is like because maybe they were just bringing in wrestlers now and then that yeah. like, knew how to talk. That is interesting. Yeah, I wish I could hear that. We then go off to Mean Gene in the aisle to interview the injured 13-time world champion, Ric Flair. There's a gentleman that's on the shelf, will not be competing in the 60-man three-ring battle royal here tonight at World War III. 
However, he has sold this joint out on many of an occasion. Please welcome my guest, 13-time WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World. Yes, indeed, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. capacity crowd down here and I don't know if we will or not with your presence you and I go back a long long time I remember when you broke in at the training camp of the great Vern Gagne and I have followed your careers for 20 some odd years it has been a great career and right now there's a lot of questions that are being asked of WCW and there are a lot of questions being asked of you Rick Flair Mean Gene We are in Norfolk, Virginia, and we are live. The theme of the event tonight is World War III, but in reality, it's WCW on tour. Woo! Now, being caught up in the emotion of the moment, let me make it very clear that Hollywood Hulk Hogan and NWO are entitled to walk their own way in life. But when it comes down to wrestlers like Ric Flair, woo, Arn Anderson, the Stinger! Woo! Lex Luger! The Steiners! Benoit! McMichael! The list is endless! We represent W by God CW! Thank you! It's about time somebody stepped up to the plate. And even though the Nature Boy is temporarily incapacitated, I promise you, the wrestling public, that before it's all said and done, the Nature Boy, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute, wait a minute, here he comes. <laughs> tonight's the night. Well, that's all night. That's a little longer. Stay all night and stay a little longer. And the NWO will belong to the WCW. Woo! Thank you. The first one's on me tonight. The nature boy, Ric Flair, one of a kind. Oh, my goodness. Tony, Bobby, Dust, let's get back to you guys. Well, when you're with Flair and all Gene says he's known Flair ever since Flair broke in at Vern Gagne's wrestling camp. And uh, since we've never really done a bio of Ric Flair, and uh, we're Minnesota guys, and I was just interested in that, and I've read Flair's book, I thought it'd be a, a, a time to talk a little bit about the truth of that statement. 
Ric Flair grew up in the Twin Cities uh, of Minnesota, and he knew AWA owner and perennial champion Vern Gagne's son, Greg, from college at the University of Minnesota. Rick wanted to be a wrestler, but felt weird just asking Greg, so instead he went through <laughs> another friend of his, Ken Patera, who was on his way to train with Vern. That's adorable. Rick ended up in a training camp at Vern's farm, along with Ken Patera, Greg, uh, Greg Gagne, Jumping Jim Brunzel, who would later be in the WWF as part of the Killer Bees, mm-hmm. Hossein Vaziri, a.k.a. the Iron Sheik, and Bob Bruggers, a former NFL linebacker. Uh, every man in that class clearly became a very big name in wrestling, with the exception of Bruggers, uh, who suffered several fractures in his spine and a broken ankle in a plane crash that Rick also survived. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, that was the uh, the pilot died. All the wrestlers in the plane lived, but it was the end of Bruggers' wrestling career uh, pretty shortly after it started. So, we're, I mean, just for reference, we're we're back into like the early 70s at this yes, point. Yes, yep. Yep. Because, I mean, you were just naming names that I think immediately like 80s. Yeah, this, I'm not, it might have been late 70s. Well, Flair's training, yeah, probably would have been early 70s. Well, because the crash yep. was in 75. Okay, so yes. And so I believe that would make the training camp 72 or 73. Yeah. Because Bruggers was two years into his career at the time of the crash. Yeah, and I remember that, like, they thought that Flair wasn't going to wrestle again. Yeah. And he was only, like, two or three years into his, like, 40-year career. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like complete opposite. Of what yeah, and thought. I don't even think he was out for a year after the accident. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that training camp. I'm going to quote a little bit from uh, Ric Flair and Ken, Ken Patera. These are both quotes from Flair's book. Flair's book is unique in that occasionally it just has quotes from other wrestlers that they interviewed for the book. Mm-hmm. So like there's, you know, Flair's like, narrating the book it's his autobiography there's a ghostwriter of course but it's flair narrating the book oh, okay. and then suddenly it'll be like arn anderson and it'll be like his perspective on whatever rick was talking about mm-hmm. flair one day it was 10 degrees the next day it was 10 below we ran around this farm not on a track but on a path that went about two miles we had to do 500 free squats 200 push-ups and 300 sit-ups i'd never trained so hard in my life patera the ring was in one of Vern's horse barns. The horses were downstairs and the chickens were upstairs. <laughs> it was below zero temperatures with one light bulb in the whole barn dangling on a wire. The slats were about an inch apart, so there were times that we'd show up to four-foot snowdrifts in the barn. The chickens would roost in the crossbeams, shitting all over the ring. <laughs> the ring was all broken down and the ropes were drooping. Here's Vern Gagne, a multi-millionaire, and he has the worst conditions for us to train in. We do 50 front rolls, then 50 back rolls. After that, we'd give each other 50 turnbuckles reversals, then 50 shoulder tackles, 50 flying mares, 50 suplexes. <laughs> uh, I don't think I actually have the quote in here, uh, but there's another Ken Patera quote where he describes, he's telling another wrestler, I forget who it is, like Wahoo McDaniel or somebody, he's telling them about the training, and the other wrestler just goes, Vern Gagne took 10 years off your career. <laughs> 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 Although again, Flair had one of the longest careers out of anybody ever, so right. maybe that's not necessarily true. Uh, back to Ric Flair, quoting again from Flair: "I was at camp for two days when I quit. I called up Greg and said I'm done. Greg told his dad, so Vern came over to my house, grabbed me by the shirt, and threw me out on the front lawn. It took you five years to graduate high school. He screamed, 'You quit college? Well, you're not quitting this. I didn't sign you up to be a quitter.'" Took you five years to finish high school? <laughs> Apparently. Uh-huh. 
Vern and the other trainer, Billy Robinson, were huge abusive dicks. Like, just flat out yeah. plain, as, uh, plain as day. Right. But they did train Flair, and it was Vern who told Rick that he couldn't bill himself as rambling Ricky Rhodes. Dusty, what? <laughs> Dusty's kayfabe brother. Yeah, Rick uh, <laughs> idolized Dusty Rhodes. Um, well, I'll, I'll get there in a second. He instead said that he should play off his real name, Rick Fleer, to become Rick Flair. Uh, so after working the NWA for a little bit, Rick eventually he went on like he toured the country a little bit with Dusty and I forget, God damn it, who the other bo- guy in the car was, Dick Murdoch maybe somebody. He goes around and hears he they like just drink and it's just nuts. He becomes a little disillusioned with Dusty at this point because he feels like he's held down a little bit, but he gets to basically tour around with his hero, and it's like this huge thing for him. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he knew after a couple of years that it was time to move elsewhere and keep growing and learning, so he went to Charlotte. Vern tried to get him to sign a contract that would give Vern 10% of Rick's earnings for the next five years. <laughs> Just like, hey, hey, I trained you. That should be my money. <laughs> what Worst thing you to do is say no. I just love these stories because Vern Cotney just sounds like such an asshole. Right. But I, I, that's just the impression I get from like pretty much anyone that trains yes. anyone in wrestling <laughs> is that they're terrible assholes, pe- assholeish people. Rick uh, did not sign that contract. He just said what? no. But he did uh, just feeling like guilty. Flair is a people pleaser. Yeah. Uh, he So he signed him a check for $2,500 just like just so we can end this on friends. There's no hard feelings. So they they ended that relationship amicably thanks to a check for $2,500. And maybe he's like, if I just give him a little bit of money, then he'll leave you. (laughs) But this is, so the point of kind of telling all this is then he went to Charlotte and worked for Jim Crockett and everyone there was so much nicer than Vern and like the guys in the AWA that he was dealing with. That's why Rick becomes synonymous with Flair Country, with Charlotte, mm-hmm. with those other areas, because he loved it so much that he just changed his billing to be from there. He was like, "Fuck Minneapolis." Yeah, uh, he never like uh, he was adopted, and I'm sure he loves his parents and they loved him. It's not like they were abusive. He doesn't say anything bad about them, but the impression you get certainly from his book is just like it was not a very important relationship to to him. It's just mm-hmm. it, he's not somebody who was very close to his parents. And when he got the freedom to go out there and, like, tour the country and eventually the world as a wrestler, he was not somebody who was like, oh, no, I don't get to see my family as much. It was just like, who gives a shit? Right. And he forgot about Minnesota, like, the second he got to uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, obviously for some people that's just the way it is when you when you grow up and when you're able to go out on your own like that, first place is just not important to you. I mean, and also from all the, the from the sound of it, like, Charlotte was where he found his identity as a wrestler. Exactly, and yes. Probably like as a person in general, and that's probably that's why where he's like I associate myself with this place. Now. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a, that's totally understandable. Uh and just the last interesting bit about his early life that I guess I'll mention I didn't have it in my notes but I just remembered it. Uh he doesn't know who his birth mother was, um but it's very possible that whoever she was, she was told that the baby died. Uh, and then the baby was sold to this adoption agency because there was this he was part of uh, his adoption was done by this group. I want to say it was a group of nuns, even. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure on that part. I'd have to read the book again. But that was later found out that this adoption agency had like a deal with hospitals where they would find young mothers that they felt weren't fit mothers, you know, a teenage mom, a prostitute, whatever. Yeah. And they would just lie to him and say, yeah, your baby died. 
and then they would like sell the baby via adoption not like black market exactly but there's adoption fees and stuff like that right and so they would essentially profit off these kids who their mothers were just lied to so it's very possible that Ric Flair's biological mom never even knew that her baby lived. Right. And so Rick was ne- had no clue who she was his entire life. He'll never, ever know because the records of this organization were just such that even when they got busted and criminally charged, there was no way to link up who was who. It's just like what an incredible story. And to think that that was the beginning of life for Ric Flair is just like, it's crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. Anyway, 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 back to World War III. (laughs) (laughs) Flair tells Gene that we are in Norfolk, Virginia, and we are live. Flair says that Hollywood Hogan and the NWO are entitled to walk their own way in life, but when it comes to wrestlers like himself, Arn Anderson, Sting, Lex Luger, the Steiners, Benoit, Mongo... It's he he lists half the roster and what I think is hilarious is he doesn't mention Jeff Jarrett <laughs> who I was about to ask is in the next match and is being like poised as his like successor right. essentially yeah <laughs> Flair doesn't even mention him uh, he says that for all those wrestlers they represent W C by God W <laughs> Flair by God <laughs> Flair says. That despite being injured, he promises before everything is said and done, the nature boy, then he pauses to strut down the aisle a bit, will stay all night and dance a little longer, and the NWO will belong to WCW. Okay. Woo. (laughs) Sure. He, uh, Melter said it best. He said basically like he had a lot of enthusiasm and nothing to say. Yeah. This was, this was get out there and eat up some time. Yes this promo it was not bad because it was delivered by rick flair but it was so nothing there he yeah. there was nothing of importance at all he did get maybe the loudest pop of the night though which is hilarious he of comes out he and says nothing and still gets the most adulation yeah the nwo music plays for the giant who is out for his rematch from halloween havoc against jeff jarrett giant of course won that match by disqualification as his pro- and has promised that tonight he will choke slam double J. The giant is still wearing the United States Championship that is not rightfully his. Tony says that the title is vacant right now because Flair is unable to defend it due to injury. Jarrett comes right at the giant with punches, but the big man shoves him to the canvas. Giant keeps missing big power strikes, and the quicker Jarrett will then get in some punches. The giant finally levels him with a big clothesline. Jarrett does not seem to be getting any reaction from the crowd, pro or con. And they are mixed on the giant. Some people definitely think he's cool because he's NWO. Some people are booing him. It's just it's just a weird matchup. It is. The giant misses a corner splash, and Jarrett gets a splash of his own and a drop kick. He then tries another splash, but the giant gets a foot in his gut. Uh, he kind of like shoves him back with the foot. It's not like a kick. It's like it's really cool. I like it. He gets the foot right in his stomach and then just pushes him back with it. Yeah. He then stomps him a bit. Giant drops a standing elbow and steps on Jarrett's chest. Shivani talks about Shivani talks about the giant appearing in Jingle All the Way, and he and Bobby say that that's Hogan's clout and DiBiase's money at work. The giant levels Jeff with a clubbering blow and follows with a big Irish whip. Another Irish whip, and the crowd is distracted by something in the upper deck, and of course, it's Sting walking through the rafters. The giant nails Jarrett with a big boot and then a leg drop. Sting leaves the catwalk and starts making his way to the ring. The giant hits a backbreaker and then misses a Vader bomb, which I was very surprised to see him go for. Uh 
Jarrett takes down the giant with a top rope crossbody. Sting is still making his way down, and the giant is dumped to the outside somehow. The camera totally misses whatever it is. But Yeah, the, by the way, the last like 30 seconds of this match, th- these two are clearly pretending they don't hear the rep. Like, yes. The fans oh, are yeah. all reacting to something, and they're just pretending like they don't notice. Yes, 100%. Sting hits the ring unseen. Somehow Jarrett, uh, yeah, <laughs> write my notes. Somehow Jarrett is too dumb to have noticed any of this. Yep. And Randy Anderson is too busy up on the ropes looking down on the giant. Uh, so nobody sees Sting enter behind them. Well, yeah. they, got, they got the right referee to be distracted <laughs> and being on the goddamn ropes. Yes. So. Randy Anderson, like, they should just, at the when they set up the ring every night, they should get Randy Anderson out and just let him play on the ropes for 10 minutes. Just get it out of his system. Right. <laughs> Uh, Sting gives Jarrett the Scorpion Death Drop, convincing the announcers that he is in the NWO. Sting then saunters out as the Giant gets back in the ring. Jarrett is wobbly out on his feet, and the Giant choke slams Jeff Jarrett with uh, extra oomph. It's a big choke slam mm-hmm. for the one, two, three. Uh, this was like a television match. This was just eating up some time. Yeah. Um, it certainly, <laughs> it definitely continues to undercut any prospect of Jeff Jarrett as a top baby face on this program Mm -hmm. uh, because he has come out and been like, I guarantee you that guy's not going to choke slam me. And the first time they faced, he got disqualified basically on purpose and then was like, ha ha, I told you he wouldn't choke slam me. This time he just did get choke slammed and beaten. Mm -hmm. Plus the company's top baby face. Who's like, you know, in this cool mysterious phase uh, has attacked him personally twice. Jericho could not look, or excuse me, Jarrett could not look worse right now. He is just dead in, on arrival, I think. I, I mean, I this idea of Sting and Jarrett, like the angle, it's very confusing, but it, it would be interesting to me if there is a long-term like plan for it. Yeah. But I just don't believe there's a long-term plan for it. Yeah, it made more sense at first because Jarrett had like run Sting down a couple times, but now we're like a few... F- weeks away from Jarrett saying anything about Sting. So, like, why is Sting still so mad at Jarrett specifically? Right. And, like, this would be good if, like, we end up getting an answer that makes sense. Yeah. I just, I'm pretty sure we're not going to, so it's just really confusing. It's like a a way to have Jarrett lose but protect him still, but I don't know. Nothing about this makes any sense. It's it's pretty much like a rebooking of their previous match, except having Sting in there instead of Ric Flair. Well, and this time he gets choke slammed, so he no longer has that thing to keep falling back on. Right. Uh, the only interesting note I had was when the giant came to the ring in the first place, I was just surprised that the United States title fits around his waist. He's so slim back in these days. Well, even so, he, he's oh, yeah, still yeah, a yeah. big guy. Sure, so. absolutely. And and I just I just tend to remember that the like belts other than the world heavyweight title just were tended to be a little bit smaller. After replays, snare drums and bagpipes single the signal the arrival of Rowdy Roddy Piper, who comes out contract in hand. He makes his way down the aisle into ring number two, where a table has been set up for this contract signing. Piper says that he has the contract, and there's no sense in waiting, so he calls out Hulk Hogan. Out comes the NWO with Eric Bischoff at the forefront, black leather jacket over an NWO t-shirt. He's flanked by DiBiase and Vincent. Shivani sneaks in the line that he never thought he'd see Eric and Vincent walk the aisle together. Ah. Yeah, funny, funny. Oh, 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 oh. 
Ooh, the giant kind of stays out. He never goes to the back. He just kind of <laughs> hangs around like the entrance. Right. I think he's confused because some of the NWO is meant to come out here and some of the rest are coming out later in the segment. And I don't think he remembers which one he is. So you just see him in the back like loitering. Well, he, it, he should be out there in the first place. Yeah. Because he's still out there. Right. It's not like he should go to the back for a few minutes yeah. and then come back out again. <laughs> well, that's what he does. <laughs> Hogan, Nash, and Hall are nowhere to be seen. Mr. Piper, I thought I'd let you know that uh, Hollywood's a little busy. Got a couple scripts just arrived, and he's back taking a look at him. He did, however, earlier today give me his power of attorney. It's a business thing, you know. Oh, my goodness. It's an NWO thing. So I'm happy to take a look at whatever contract you have and by the power vested in me, I'd be happy to sign for Mr. Hogan if it meets our requirements. First of all, I taught you how to fight, so get out of my way. Easy now. Second of all, you any monster look-alike, you know a count. Peon, oh. wannabe, never could be. You know what you are? You're one of the new kids on the block, and you're lost from the block, brother, because you're way too old, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You're going to try to say to me that you have power for Hogan. <laughs> That's great. It's wonderful. I taught you how to fight. Piper stepping on the Shut edge up. now. I ain't finished. And I do know you're there, DiBiase. 28 years I've been doing this, and not once have I had my hair primped, and not once have I had my nails done. You want to take over the WCW, the NWO? I could care less. But do you think that I'm going to trust a lion, little flake, gay, wonderful human being like yourself? Tell me something. How'd you get that crack in that lip? Huh? Yeah. You know something? You know why I can wear this? Because I'm damn tough enough to. That's why. That's right. That's right. Easy, Piper. Okay. I can fine you for that. Tell me. Tell me something. How much would it cost me by fine for me just to knock your ass out? I got, it. I got the money. Just give me an approximate. 10,000? More ten, than you've got. I'll tell you what, this is going nowhere. Lots I more. Ain't, I'll tell you something, folks, I'm tired of the baloney. This is the way it's going to be. You've got a pay-per-view, Nashville, the 29th. Very I will good. fight Hogan. Oh, thank you very much. Took me a while to memorize that. <laughs> I will fight Hogan. Get your hands off that. I will fight Hogan, but I'm going to tell you this. I could care less whether the NWO is down there, which means now, if you mess with me, no way out. I don't care if I get knocked out and the referee catches these gigs. 
What you're gonna do, you're gonna revive me, and the fight is gonna go on. I'm not going for no DQs. I'm not going for no sneaking outs. I ain't going for runnings away. I'm going for the fight of the century and who the icon is. So if I take this fight and you got the balls to get Hogan down here, then this fight will end the 29th, regardless of the NWO. Now you, you little puke, get out of here. Hogan, you coward, come on down. I don't think so, Piper, I don't think so. He's called his number. Eric has a mic and he tells Piper that Hogan is busy reviewing some scripts. He says that Hogan has granted him power of attorney and he will review the contract himself and sign for Hogan if it meets the NWO's requirements. Piper's first response is to shove Vincent and remind him that Roddy taught him how to fight, a reference to a WWF storyline where Piper was the one who trained Virgil for Virgil's matches against Ted DiBiase at WrestleMania 7 and SummerSlam 91. Yeah, they are all over nice moments of continuity tonight. (laughs) I was like, I was actually really pleasantly surprised to see that come up like that. Wow. Because, yeah, he's not Virgil's real trainer. I forget who it is, but it's not Rowdy Piper. Well, I mean, I could have easily bought, like, I'm older than you, so, like, sure. as a result, just me being a wrestler before you. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I did not think, I mean, once you mention it, like, that, there's that memory in my brain where I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah now it makes sense. So, no, that's, that's good. That's good stuff. Piper then calls Eric an Eddie Munster lookalike and a no-account peon. Piper Not, not <laughs> as good as the first. <laughs> I like no-account peon. Well, I, yeah, that, it's Eddie Munster thing sure. where it's like, nah. Yeah, Eric Bischoff is a handsome guy. I don't think attacking his looks is probably the right play. <laughs> right. Just say he's a little weenie guy. Piper says that absolute power corrupts absolutely. He slaps Vincent's chest. He repeats the line about training him to fight. Acknowledges Ted DiBiase, then makes fun of Eric for having his hair and nails look so nice. He is exhausting to like recap Mm because he just in like three minutes he just addresses nine different subjects he is all over the map what I like about him is his that his erraticness makes him like makes him seem more dangerous yeah sure and also he's just aware of like he's not just giving a promo he's paying attention to everyone else in the ring the fact that DiBiase is like he's just positioning himself yeah he doesn't look like he's attacking but he's kind of coming around like he might and Piper's just acknowledging, like, I, yeah. I have eyes in the back of my head, DiBiase. Yes, yes. I don't trust you over there. Piper says that he doesn't really care about this WCW versus NWO stuff, but he won't trust a lying little flake, gay, wonderful human being like Eric Bischoff. <laughs> That's a phrase. He gets in Eric's face, and Eric says that he can fine him for that. Piper asks what the fine would be if he knocked Bischoff's ass out. Eric had like a very lame reply to that he's just like more than you've got yeah it's like ooh, you got owned on the mic right there (laughs) right piper says that this is going nowhere but there's a pay-per-view in nashville on december 29th and he has a contract for a match along with him piper says if the nwo mess with him their letters are going to stand for no way out and somewhere vince mcmahon just wrote that down Hmm. i it's a very it's a it's a minor point, but everyone keeps referring to the 29th, yeah, and not December 29th. Oh sure, in which it's like, you because like they're not it's that before November 29th that they're saying this. Yeah, that's a good it's, point. It's a little bit. It's not exactly enough information, but I mean, 
as a wrestling fan and knowing that like December 29th is the next pay-per-view, I figured it out, but it was just like, just a weird thing just to say the day and not the month. Sure. Piper says that the match is going to be no DQ, no count out, or at least I think that's what he's saying. Right. I forget the way he phrases it, but it's, it comes across really confusing. I mean, he's trying to indicate like he doesn't even care if the NWO interferes. Yeah. If they knock him out, they'll just re, re like resuscitate him <laughs> and throw yes. him back into the ring. Pretty much he's he's saying that like I don't care what you guys do or like if you interfere the whole time as long as there's a winner. It's a very like his negotiations very iffy to me. Piper calls Hogan a coward and calls him down. Hogan comes out with a giant hall, Nash, Six, and Liz. Trash flies and a rapper or something hits Hulk right in the cheek. Nice. Like thank God it wasn't a battery or something, because if they they had good aim. Or a grenade. <laughs> Yes, it, it is a good thing that it was not a grenade. It is World War Three, <laughs> right? And everyone here at the Yo, scope is Piper, standing. you got a problem now. I've always had problems, but that's never stopped me. Get your butt in the ring, sign the contract, and quit talking. That's that's the best way to put it. Now, apparently, he is going to get in the ring here. Now, Piper talked about the event in Nashville on the 29th. That would be Starcade. Piper, to me, looks outnumbered very, very badly. You know something, Piper? Oh, yeah, big man. I'm going to sign it. All right. But like I said. You got a real big problem, my friend. You know, I'm used to dealing with individuals that are my equal. I'm used to dealing with people in the ring that are number one contenders. I'm used to dealing with people that are up to my speed. And oh yes, man, I'm gonna sign that contract, but I just want everybody in here to realize that when you were my equal 10 years ago, you couldn't get it done. And now, my friend, since you're Mr. Self-Righteous, Mr. Up and Up, Mr. Big Man, who's gonna straighten out the whole world, show him the hip. Yeah, show him the hip, Piper. What does he mean here? Get that camera over here. Wait a minute. I want the whole world to see this. Show them the hip. Oh, no, 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 no. Boy, you're a straight up dude, aren't you? You're really on the money, aren't you, honey? What is he talking about? <laughs> Let me show the whole world what I've been talking about, Piper. Show him the hip. Wow. Huh? That scar. How about that, Red? Hey, you know something? I don't usually pick on cripples. Wow. Oh, for my I don't usually pick on people that are like Peg like Pete. Mm -hmm. But since the whole world seems to like you, my friend, 
And since the whole world wants to see the war that didn't end the score, oh yes, my man, it's gonna be my pleasure to sign this contract. There it is. And let me tell yeah. you, Piper, now that I've signed that contract, <laughs> you, my friend, are not gonna have a leg to stand on because I can't wait to beat up a gimp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go, get after him. He's going after Hogan. Get after him. He is sorely outnumbered here. Well, he picked it, like I said, he's in there with him now. Hogan just a whipping on him. And he knew what to expect getting in that ring. You're right. The NWO wasn't gonna leave him alone. They don't want him to Hogan says that now Piper has a problem. Piper tells him to shut up and just sign the contract. Hogan actually does, though very slowly, and says that he's going to sign the contract, but he's used to dealing but that he's used to dealing with people who are his equal. They're up to his speed and his level. And he wants everyone to know that Piper couldn't get it done ten years ago when he was Hogan's e equal. Uh, I guess he's referring to the fact that Piper never won the championship because right. he's like Piper didn't get it done. But the whole deal with Piper is that he never lost to Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So like he did get it done. It must just be about the championship. Anyway, Hogan tells Piper to show everyone his hip, which Piper had surgically replaced. Hogan wants Piper to show the camera and Piper goes ahead and lifts up his kilt but he shows the other hip. Yeah. I guess he's just being cheeky at this point. Ah, cheeky. Which is funny because he's showing his hip. Uh, so there's nothing. So Hogan grabs the kilt and pulls it up. And in a very just, it looks really weird because Piper helps him with, like, get the kilt out of the way. Yeah. So it's just these two guys hiking up Piper's skirt, like, <laughs> just working in tandem yeah. to make sure that they show this old man's ass cheek to the camera. Yep. It's really, really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure enough, Piper has a long scar right down his hip. Hogan says that he doesn't normally pick on cripples or peg-legged Pete, but since the whole world seems to like Roddy and wants to see the war that didn't end the score, fuck me, they're still saying that, yeah. it will be his pleasure to sign the contract. Hogan signs, jabs a finger in Roddy's chest, and says that he can't wait to beat up a gimp, at which point a fed-up Piper finally decks him. Hogan goes down and Rowdy pounces, but the ring is full of NWO guys and they beat him down. Piper escapes and snarls at Hogan for a minute, but it's all for naught. Hogan gets a chair and blasts the scarred hip and then shoulder tackles Piper to the mat. The Giant and Hall hold Piper in place and Hogan sprays NWO on Piper's hip and leg. Hogan promises to break Piper in half and spits on him. The NWO congratulate themselves and mill around for a bit as Piper gets to his feet to turn over the, like, to throw the table at them, basically. Yeah. Piper takes off his jacket. He wants to fight, but the NWO are leaving now. Hogan lets Eric uh, carry the championship belt down the aisle. Piper still has a mic, and he says that on the 29th in Nashville, if that's the best that Hogan can do, the NWO are in trouble, which is hilarious because they just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> it's like, right. is that the best you can do? Easily defeating me? <laughs> Uh, because there is no retreat and no surrender, but he can barely stand on his own. He keeps falling down, so his, yeah. his boasting rings a little hollow. Uh, I thought this was a great segment. I thought that Piper was great. Hogan was really good. Bischoff was good. 
Um, again, it's a pay-per-view where you kind of need to eat up some time. Yes. So, like, I know this is maybe more of a TV segment, although they're trying to keep Piper special at this point. So I thought this was really good. Um, I think it's certainly a better sign for the build than we saw with the uh, Hogan and Savage stuff for Halloween Havoc. Oh, yes. Hogan's last big feud. So it seems like whether it's because the creative is being written differently or maybe because Piper is standing up for himself in a way that Savage didn't or who knows what. Uh, it seems like I'm just enjoying this build a lot more <laughs> than I did that build. And, I mean, the thing that I got out of it was when they were actually getting to blows with each other. Yeah. Those are pretty stiff blows. Yeah. I mean, after like after Piper initially grabbed Hogan, Hogan was missing his sunglasses, his bandana. His shirt was, like, torn off of him. Yes. And then when Hogan got the opportunity to punch him, he was fucking wailing on him, too. Yeah. Uh, what's funny, because he is, at, he is, like, still a professional who protects the guys in the ring with him, they were stiff, but when he blasted him with the chair on the hip, it was a gentle blasting. Yes. It was like, I'm hitting a man's broken hip with a chair. And Hogan's chair shots are always, like, light as a feather. Yeah. He's comically light with chair shots. But, like, so it's funny that when they're punching, he's like, oh, I'll give you a potato, you son of a bitch. But it, when it comes to something that could really, really hurt someone or yeah. endanger their career, he's just, he's as professional as can be. Yeah, it's it's like, it, it feels like a very old school way of, like, approaching it where it's like, if you have animosity with each other, leave it, keep it to the punches. Yeah. Like, just, like, that's the, that's fine. Don't do anything else where you're taking liberties with each other or anything right. like that. Um. I mean, I I disagree with like the idea of pointing out his hip because it just makes him look really old, and and depending on your like your hot like TV like your hot promotion on two old men. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think because they they don't say it was for hip replacement or anything like that, but I would I mean I I I mean I'm obviously not a doctor. I mean that's why I'm doing a <laughs> podcast here about wrestling. But um, I would tend to believe that if you have a scar like that, you would only that would only be from hip replacement. I mean, I could sure. be totally wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he's legitimately had his hip replaced. Yeah, yeah. It just I feel like it's just a not the right thing to focus on is like an injury, like a surgery that's like age related, pretty much. Yeah. Um. Although, like, I, like we mentioned several times with Hogan and Savage, Hogan seems to do this thing where he's trying to focus on like the faults of other people in which those are things that are also his. Yeah. You know, like focusing on Randy Savage losing his hair or, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and focusing on Piper being a little bit older than other wrestlers. Sure. Yeah. It's like, it's a very weird way of approaching things. <laughs> That's true. But, um, no, I mean, just like, like you're saying, like there's a very like distinct difference between this feud and the feud with Savage. There's just a lot more energy into this. You feel like both guys like have, like a little bit of even like grounds with each other in which it's not, it, it wasn't like, you know, Savage would has been like, it, it was an uphill battle for him and he didn't really battle yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like even if they're, cause like this booking, I think on paper should have made Piper just look really terrible. Yeah. But it's just the way that Piper like conducts himself and is able to make himself look good in any situation. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but just the way that they were kind of wailing on each other, I'm like, I'm pretty excited to see these guys like in the ring with each other now. Yeah. You know, once they get to the point where it's like, they have to start decking it out with each other and getting physical, it, it could potentially be pretty, a pretty exciting match. Yeah. Oh, Canada plays and out next are the amazing French Canadians and Colonel Robert Parker. Uh, he is wearing his Legionnaire outfit still and lets out a few Viva Quebecs. Uh huh. 
out next are their opponents, the Harlem Heat. Uh, I, I really like, as they're making their way to the ring, uh, the following exchange happens between Heenan and Dusty Rhodes. Bobby, do you know what five minutes with Sherry would do to the average man? <laughs> Dusty, she's going to ragtag him. Bobby, she's going to untwist his head and drink him. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> oh, it's a reference to uh, something else. I was thinking as the heat came down, somebody in, uh, in 2019 needs to go back to that like little hoop singlet thing that they have. What's that? The Harlem Heat. They wear those singlets that are connected oh, with yeah, a yeah, hoop yeah. over their chest. Yeah. No one else has that look. Someone needs to revive that because it's cool as hell. Well, I mean, I'd be fine with that just being a Harlem Heat thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I just think in, in but it, it definitely is is a very cool, d- very different look. Yes. And it's something where it's like, like if you, I think it's a very good thing if you like if you if you put like their their wrestling gear without like if it's like the silhouette. Right. You could figure out whose it is. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a very it's a very good way of like having like a look for in the ring. Jacques Rougeau demands that everyone stand up and pay respect to the Canadian anthem. The announcers mock the amazing French Canadians for being very bad and not knowing the words. <laughs> and we've joked before that it sounds like they're saying blah, 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 but I think they're just singing in French. But this time, the Heat don't attack them. Like, every other time they've been attacked in mid-anthem, yeah. this time they don't, and they do just trail off as if they don't know all the words. They don't <laughs> sing the whole right. thing. And I kind of wonder if it was a rib on them. Like, let's just let it go. Let's yeah. let them sing the whole song. Right. And they can't, and they just give up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if I was in, like, anyone else's position, I would do that at some point, yeah. too. It's, 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 I mean... Maybe not like on like a big pay per view. Sure, there might be a, like a better situation, but definitely if it's in, if it's like they they anticipate the interruption. Yeah, to wait a few seconds <laughs> to start the match. Booker works a long side headlock on Jacques, who finally gets a drop kick, but Booker gets back into thing with kicks. A double clothesline from the Heat after Stevie Ray gets t- tagged in. Stevie hits a scoop slam on Jacques. PCO gets tagged in, and the crowd is dead for this one. Mm-hmm. A side suplex by Stevie, and PCO lands right on his head. Stevie Ray hits a big kick for two. Dusty says about Colonel Robert Parker, there's nothing like going to war with a man wearing tight pants. <laughs> I I guess. <laughs> uh, Booker's tagged in. He hits an axe kick on PCO that Shivani calls a super kick. PCO gets a scoop slam, but misses an elbow drop. Then Booker misses an elbow drop. Spinny Rooney's to his feet and hits a wheel kick instead. Parker and Jacques attack Booker on the outside. The Canadians isolate and double team Booker in the corner, then almost hit a total elimination, except for a kick. Uh, like they do that roundhouse kick to the tor- torso. Yeah. A total elimination. In mm-hmm. this one, it's a clothesline. Right. Uh, I liked it. It was cool looking. Jacques slams PCO on Stevie Ray for two. Sunset flip by Booker gets another two. Jacques clotheslines Booker, and he does the Rikishi flip all the way around bump. That always makes a clothesline look so impressive. Mm-hmm. Stevie Ray press slams Jacques into PCO. All four men brawl, and Scott Dickinson is hit and goes down. This allows the Canadians to lay into Booker for a bit, double-teaming him. Jacques hits a pile driver. The Canadians then <laughs> do this insane finisher where they set up a table uh, across the top rope, like a platform, which we've mm-hmm. seen a couple other times. PCO then gets the ring steps and sets it under the table. 
they get the other set of ring sets steps and put them on the table. Yeah. So their finisher is the uh, Quebecer Crash, where PCO will normally stand on the top turnbuckle. Jacques will stand under him and hold they'll hold hands. PCO will then do like a senton flying over Jacques and onto the uh, opponent. Right. In this case, he's standing on top of the ring steps that are on top of a table mm-hmm. that is across the top rope. And Jacques is standing on the other set of ring steps that are set up on the mats that he can still hold his hands. Yeah. It is crazy. It gives them an added like three feet probably to the height of what's already a pretty crazy move. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there's no way that someone's taking that. So Booker moves. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and of course, he should move because it took like 10 minutes to set up. So he yeah. should be recovered by the other, when this happens. I, I, I believe that Bobby Heenan said at some point, they're building a fort. <laughs> uh, PC, so PCO hits the mat. Mm-hmm. Stevie Ray super kicks Jacques out of the ring. Booker hits the Harlem hangover on Pierre Carl Ouellette. Scott Dickinson wakes up and counts the one, two, three. Scott Dickinson, like, magically just, like, turns around. Yeah. Like, he was clearly waiting for this moment. Just turns around yeah. in time to do the three. Like, his his timing is so poor on it. It just looks, <laughs> it looks very, very obvious. And how waiting. would he know who the legal met? I mean, I know this is the thing in any tag match where the right. ref is knocked out. But it's funny that they're just like, I, oh, I don't know what happened. I guess these guys are legal. Right. <laughs> Sherry is ecstatic, and Parker stomps around the ring angry. No one stomps like an angry Colonel Robert Parker. Yeah. Sherry sneaks up behind him, taps him on the shoulder, and levels him with a punch. Sherry drives his head into the corner five times and tosses him over the top rope into the floor. Parker tries to bail, but Sherry catches him and rolls him into a different ring. Rip his drawers off, baby, implores Dusty Rhodes. (laughs) No, don't do that. (laughs) Sherry gets Parker with a big clothesline, and Dusty loses his mind. Oh, my goodness. She clotheslined him. She clotheslined him. Yeah. He screams it like four times. She does another clothesline and heads to the top rope. Dusty makes a joke about looking up her dress as she climbs up the ropes, and Tony Schiavone is genuinely crying with laughter. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about what Dusty is saying than what's actually happening in the ring. Yes. But he yeah. is dying. Yeah. Sherry hits a flying crossbody and pins Parker, and this, though this is not a match, Scott Dickinson counts the pin, and Colonel Robert Parker kicks out. Yes. it's It was just supposed to be five minutes alone, but for some reason it turns into a real pinfall, and I love the fact that Parker was like, I am not letting a woman pin me. <laughs> right. I will sell, and I'll sell, and I'll oh. sell, and I will look like a complete boob. I will not eat the pin, though. But even in this non-match, I will not let my shoulders be down for three. Right. <laughs> it's so funny. At this point, the Canadians finally save their manager, and Sherry chases them all down the aisle. The Heat follow, and that's that. Uh, I thought the match was nothing special. It was totally just could have been a TV match. Yeah didn't care it was not bad it just was other than that crazy insane finisher that was like the only thing that set this apart as a pay-per-view the rest was just a tv tag match yeah Uh, i thought the post-match angle was everything that it should have been with sherry getting i I thought the pin was mighty weird but like it's still sherry got a chance to humiliate parker it was not nearly five minutes alone it was maybe like a minute and a half Mm -hmm. but if it had gone on for five minutes it would have been way too long so I was perfectly yeah. fine with that. Which was, yeah, it was weird if they, if it was a match or not, because like she just pitches him over the top rope. 
right. for one thing. Yeah. Um, I know I've read that apparently Sherry won by countout, <laughs> which doesn't make any doesn't make any sense. The bell never rang. It's not a match. Right. I'm not acknowledging that as a match. Um, Dusty, what Dusty Rose finds hilarious, yeah, is beyond me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it was like, yeah, she did a clothesline. That's that's something. That's kind of crazy. But he lost his mind. She clotheslined him, and and he was just like he was lost after that. Like yeah. he was he was no help. <laughs> yeah, and it was to the point, like you said, like. All th- I think all three of them were basically just like broken down in tears. Yeah, like Dusty Rhodes, like like crying about like he realized how crazy he thought that was. Yeah, like his own reaction made himself laugh. <laughs> when they cut back to the announcers after everyone has left, yeah, Tony is wiping tears from his eyes. Right, <laughs> that is how funny he found this whole thing. I hopefully this means that's the end of this, but I I really <laughs> doubt it. I mean. Colonel Robert Parker just bought that outfit. So. <laughs> the announcers vamp for a minute uh, about Hogan and Piper so the crew can get all the shit out of the ring behind them. Yep. Tony then tosses us to a Starcade promo, uh, which has a very extreme Christmas elf. Yes. It was a terrible commercial. Mm-hmm. I hope when they get, um, now that the Piper-Hogan match is like official, I hope they recut a promo that is like around that match so I don't have to see this Christmas elf on every Nitro <laughs> that mm-hmm. we cover. Backstage, Mean Gene tells us that if we call the hotline at 1-900-99-909-9900, at 1-900-909-9900, mm-hmm. he will tell us what other superstar is rumored to be joining WCW. <gasps> I assume that it's Kurt Henning, if yeah. you call. I, I would guess that's where that's going. Right. Gene is then joined by Lex Luger. Lex is looking even more jacked than usual, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. He just looked especially jacked here. And it... I just, I mean, his hair is weird anyway, but yeah. it's just like weirdly combed this time where it's like, it's like the sides are brushed back. Yeah. But then like the top is like brushed. So it's kind of like over the, it's like, I mean, it's again, it's goofy hair as it is. Yeah. And it's just like every week he's, he's trying to figure out how to comb it. Like he just doesn't know what to do with it. Right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I can hardly wait for that big one during the holiday season. Starcade. it is a tradition at World Championship Wrestling. I've got Lex Luger standing by. I'm going to talk to him in a moment. But by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back on the hotline. And man, oh man alive, if you haven't caught it on the internet at one of the websites, it is the talk of the industry. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently, it's rumored, allegedly, that another superstar, yet another superstar, will be coming to World Championship Wrestling in the very near future, right now on the WCW hotline on option number one, Mark Madden, Jeff Katz, and myself will talk about it. Give us a call at 1-900-909-9900. That's 1-900-909-9900. Total package, Lex Luger, come on in. 60 men, three men, uh, three rings in a battle royal tonight. You know what it's all about. But before I get to that, Lex, what happened on Nitro recently as I was talking to you, all of a sudden, out of left field, I hate to use that expression, but out of left field, here comes a man that you know, I guess, as good as anybody, Sting, and hands you a baseball bat. What in the world do you make of it? 
Well, it's hard to make anything out of it, Gene. You know, it is most frustrating for me. I know it's frustrating for the fans, the other wrestlers here in WCW. Where's Stinger at? Where's he coming from? You know, especially as close as I am to him and have been, at least in the past. Um, I don't know what to make of this baseball bat thing. That's, that just reeks, I hope I'm not right about this, of NWO. That's been their style. The black and the white he's wearing, come in and out of the crowd, in and out of the buildings, that all smells of NWO. But I don't want to believe it. I know the fans out there don't want to believe it. But, but then again, he handed me the bat and turned his back to me. Yes. I, I waited for, for months, really, to get any word from him, and he's a man of no words. I don't know, I don't know what to make of it, Gene. I really well, don't. I'm certain that uh, all of this is going to come to light in the very near future. This man is either with the NWO or he's wrestling's Marcel Marceau. Now, 60 men, three rings at a battle royal. You know the stakes. we got to get back to it. After what's happened recently on Nitro, the way you've been putting guys left and right, 300-pounders up in that rack. You're the odds-on favorite, quite candidly, to win it all tonight. Well, I don't know about that if there's any favorites. This guy's a favorite. That guy's a 60-man battle of all the top wrestlers in the world here in WCW. Anything can happen. But again, when anything can happen, you're right. I do have a chance. I feel I'm on a roll. I feel very strong right now. And this is my chance to bestow a little honor, a li take a little of that tarnish off what's happening to WCW, the pot of gold at the end of that rainbow is a shot for the WCW World Heavyweight title against Hollywood Hogan. I want that really bad, and I'm ready. All right, I thank you, Lex Luger. Right now, let's get you back to the arena. Tony, Bobby, and Dusty. Gentlemen, take it away. Gene asks Lex about Sting and the bat from last week's Nitro. Lex is very subdued tonight. He's not, not down, he's not depressed, but he's speaking just very naturally as if he's having a conversation with Gene and not a promo. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very refreshing, and I think it helped the everything he's got to say here. He says that he doesn't know what's up with Sting, but that bat and moving through the crowd certainly seem like the uh, calling cards of the NWO. Gene asks about the Battle Royal and how Lex is the favorite, given how many big guys he's been beating on Nitro. Lex dismisses the idea of him being the favorite, saying that there's a lot of great competitors and anything can happen. But he does feel like he's been on a roll lately, and he does want to restore a little honor to WCW and that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that is Hulk Hogan's championship. I said that last bit a lot smoother than Lex did. He kind of lost it a little bit with the pot of gold metaphor. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, there was a little... I was, like, just marveling at how good this promo was. I even texted you and was like, have you watched this promo yet? Because I think it's great. Uh -huh. And then, like, as I was texting you, he started fumbling his words. And I was like, God yeah, damn, he was the inevitable Lex Luger crash. So close. Um, but did you... Do you agree? Do you think that this promo is, like, really different from what we see in the Luger? Or am I just... No, no, I agree. And, I mean, obviously... He's dealing with like, it's like still stuff with Sting. That's also, um, it's baffling to him. Yeah, and it's baffling to everyone else. So it's like, it's reasonable, but um, it, like the 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 mood that you should be in in relation to Sting makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I I liked it at the beginning. I it seems like if he is subdued and is talking just a little bit slower, he's able to get the words out a little bit better. It just it, it, you would you would you would hope that WCW saw that and be and was like, why he could just be a big guy, but just talks like a regular person. It feels like an athlete talking to Bob Costas between innings or something. Like, right. You know what I mean? It yeah. just, it had that feeling of sports. This is a guy, an athlete talking about what's important to him. And, mm -hmm. and, and it's totally what an athlete would say too. You're the favorite going in this match. Well, I don't know about that. Like there's a lot of great people in there, mm -hmm. but I do think I've got momentum behind me. It was like all things that a true athlete would say. Yeah. I, I really liked it. I wish there were more promos like this. I, I think this would be a good style for a uh, for like an AEW who claims to want to be sports based. I think this would be a good style to emulate some of the time. Yes. With I, with the right talent in place. Right. No, I agree. 
Next up, we have the Cruiserweight title on the line as challenger Psychosis comes to the ring, followed by the champion Dean Malenko. There are so many goddamn matches, it seems like. Dusty says that this is the first match between the two and then admits that Mike Tanay told him that. Uh, it is true. I, I looked it up, and as near as I can tell, this is the first match between these uh, guys. <laughs> I did, you got me. Tanay told me. The announcers debate whether Dean knows 1,000 holds or 5,000 holds, <laughs> and Tony is unsure if 5,000 holds even exist. <laughs> Just a very weird conversation they're having. Dean has a face lock on, and Psychosis is so close to the ropes that he has to tuck his arms under him to try to hide that with his, like, long, lanky limbs, he could easily just grab them. Yeah. Uh, eventually, he finally just grabs the ropes. After, like, a minute, he's like, oh, of course, my arms. Here they are, under my chest. <laughs> uh, they do the typical chain wrestling at the beginning, and it seems, like, for whatever reason, it's very flat. Um, they don't seem super into it. The crowd doesn't seem super into it. They're supposed to do the dual kip-ups that you see a lot in these matches, at, like Ray and... Dragon did earlier to a big pop. Yeah. Uh, but Psychosis only barely tries to kip up before, like, he he definitely realizes there's something not working in his body, and he just, like, instead rolls to his knees and stands up. Yeah. It's, it's like, what would it look like if I tried to kip up? Just like, <laughs> nope, not happening. <laughs> At least he doesn't try, like, more than once and embarrass himself. Yeah. He just faintly, like, bends and then stands. Yeah. I, I feel like this, this match, just, I think the approach to, like, Slowing it down right away is probably not a good yeah, choice. Yeah, I agree. Things pick up eventually when Psychosis comes off the ropes and Dean kicks out his leg. Uh, sort of like the Chris Hamrick bump, where that guy who does that famous bump you see in like GIFs where he's running and X-Pac kicks his leg out and he flies between the ropes and yeah, lands yeah, on yeah. his back. Yep. So it looks like that's what they're doing, but instead of going between the top and middle ropes like Hamrick, Psychosis' legs bounce off the middle rope and he flips backwards almost landing on his feet. And I can't decide if that's a happy accident or if he was trying to do the Chris Hamrick bump and just accidentally bounced off the... Like, I don't know if he was going for this or if it's just what happened. But anyway, either way, uh, Psychosis hits a jumping spin kick. Psychosis dropkicks Dean to the floor and then goes to the top rope. He's going to come down at Dean, um, but he's still standing on the top rope and he's not, like, doing the normal, I'm in the turnbuckle, I'm actually standing on two ropes. He is just has both feet on one rope, mm-hmm. which is obviously much harder to balance. Yeah. And he slips and almost just kills himself on the guardrail. His head actually, like, clips the side of the guardrail. Mm-hmm. Thank God it doesn't hit the top of the guardrail or he could, like... Be dead. He could, yes, absolutely. But as he's falling, his head hits the side of the guardrail. It looks awful. Dean then does some rest holds and Psychosis's long legs, again, could easily get the ropes, but he just doesn't and eventually rolls over to grab them. Dean hits a springboard leg drop for two. He slaps on a vertical half crab that looks very painful. Dean does a nice butterfly powerbomb into a Texas cloverleaf, but Psychosis makes the ropes on the pin. Dean rams Psychosis' legs into a ring post. Psychosis then gets stuck in a tree of woe for some kicks. Uh, Then he tries a... Dean then tries a monkey flip, but Psychosis sits him on the top rope. Dean flips backwards and pulls Psychosis over the top rope to the outside... Tony wonders if we're going to get a disqualification like we did in Dean's last match that we saw. But of course we don't. Nope. Dean rolls back into the ring and Psychosis does a springboard guillotine leg drop off the top rope to no reaction for a two count. Dean goes up top, but Psychosis stuns him with a kick and then hits a top rope Rana, which wakes up the crowd a little bit and gets a two count. 
Dean then turns a suplex attempt by Psychosis into a small package for two. They each reverse each other's tombstone attempts, with Dean finally winning the battle and hitting a tombstone that gets a two count. Dean eats a foot off a corner charge, avoids a leg drop, and does what Dave Meltzer calls a, quote, Japanese rolling crotch hold, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm assuming that is the right name for that, uh, that rolls up Psychosis for the one, two, three. Uh, I kind of went through that quick because you know, there's there's still a lot to go. I'm trying to get to that main event. Yes. Um, but th- and this match was just okay. It really was not special. It was not something I wanted to spend time on. Yeah. Like I would have expected. We talk a lot more about uh, or a lot in these cruiserweight matches about. Okay, it's these two guys, so my expectations are somewhat high. And it's like, mm. did they meet that? Did they exceed that? Uh, here they failed to deliver. Yeah. What I would expect. This match was fine. It was not bad. It is just not as good as I expected from Dean Malenko and Psychosis in a title match on pay per view. Yeah, and and it just it did seem like from the beginning that Psychosis was just off on on his game for w- one reason or another. Have no idea. Yeah. It just it didn't. I mean, especially um, since these two have not faced each other, um, you would you would just both need to be on top of your game in order for it to work out. Yeah, and it just seemed like that he was not there for that. So um, it, I, you can t- I, obviously. I think these two could have a better match with each other. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate that their first time that they faced each other was on a pay-per-view, which it didn't look very well good. Um, the one thing I just, I, I did like was the reversing of the tombstone by D Malenko because it just seemed like psychosis wasn't able to like help him out very much. Yeah. So D Malenko basically does like a deadlift weight of him, mm-hmm. like, which is very impressive. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right that it seemed like Psychosis just wasn't as best, and I think the reason is that they are wrestling Dean Malenko's match. Mm-hmm. Like, this very much, especially at the beginning, this was all a Dean Malenko match, and it really didn't show almost anything of what Psychosis can do. And it wasn't until, like, minutes in when he finally got a chance to do some of what I expect to see from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if maybe Dean had been a little more malleable and maybe come... Like maybe Dean is might be better at adapting to other people's styles and psychosis. Maybe Dean could have come more over to him than expecting psychosis to meet him over on the the Malenko way of doing things. Sure, I don't know. Just just my thoughts. They might be feeling a time crunch by this time of the show because the NWO music starts up immediately after that match, and the WCW Tag Team Champions, the Outsiders, make their way to the ring for their triangle tag match against the Nasty Boys and the Faces of Fear. Tony talks about Hall and Nash being dicks to him on Monday and how he walked off the show. He says that he's unsure if he's even going to come back out on Nitro tomorrow. Anyway, 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 here to call all the action of our Triangle Championship tag match is our own uh, mean bully, Dave Amantorp. All right, so you, with uh, with the three three teams slowly making their way out to the ring, I was thinking, you know what would make this match great? If they remove the Nasty Boys. But here we are. Uh, Bob, <laughs> Bobby Heaton says um, when um, the Nasty Boys are in the ring, uh, and you notice that patch on the side of Nob's head? You know what that's from? He's a brain donor. <laughs> uh, uh, also, I thought that uh, Jimmy Hart's uh, jacket's really sweet, although it's a very obvious ripoff of the Misfits logo. I had a note about that because I felt like, uh, unintentionally, but that's a little bit of WCW foreshadowing because the <laughs> Misfits are going to be... <laughs> I, obviously, it's unintentional. <laughs> Jerry only from that band will be in matches that we will cover <laughs> eventually. That's, yep, <laughs> uh, that's all. 
it looking is forward to in our future. Yeah, it is cool though. It's got basically either yeah either ripoff or literally just the same logo on the back, and then the um, for like appalets on the shoulders, it has little plastic skulls, which yeah. I thought was an awesome. Yeah, and it's all it's the exact same. Yeah, there's nothing different with it, so it's a ripoff. It probably just is a Misfits jacket that he added the other little skulls to, or something, or something. Who knows? Yeah. Either way, it looks cool, but a ripoff. The faces of fear attack Kevin Nash, and the Nasty Boys go after Scott Hall before the bell rings, which seems like a sound strategy since they are, after all, the tag team champions. So, of course, they start fighting each other after only 20 seconds of that. So, there goes that strategy. The start of the match is all faces of fear against the Nasty Boys, and I don't blame Hall and Nash for mocking that fact. All I have to do is uh, break up any cover, but other than that, they're not doing anything in order to add to this match at all. Yep. So, and again, as I say, anytime we have one of these matches, any multiple tag team match that doesn't have one member of each person legal is stupid. It's very stupid. By, Every, the, by the way, I, I don't know when else to interject this. Every time Dusty says the word barbarian, it sounds like he's saying ball bearing. Oh, I, I didn't catch he's a like, lot of oh, that. Oh, ball bearings in there. <laughs> the old ball bearings <laughs> are in there. By the way, that patch on Nob's head is jobbing really hard into this match. <laughs> Roughly halfway into this match, we get Scott Hall versus the Barbarian, and Hall against either Face of Fear is going to be the maximum enjoyment that we will get from this match. <laughs> so another thing is that these sort of matches have plenty of blind and unwanted tags, yet there's a moment where the Nasty Boys are begging for the Barbarian to tag one of them in, and it's hilarious because the Nasty Boys are dumb idiots. Hall tags in knobs, and we get a six-way brawl for a little bit where I'm sure Hall and Nash are getting in their shots in on knobs. The outsiders sit back and watch the other two teams fight again, and boy, are they looking stupid in this match. There's a lot of the nasty boys in the faces if you're fighting each other, which doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Kevin Nash tags in to beat around the... Kevin Nash tags in to beat around the Barbarian. And he looks like a fucking monster, even compared to the faces yeah, of fear. Yes. Which is also alarming because it's been, we've we've had a couple instances in which we met Kevin Ash in person. Yep. He doesn't look as impressive anymore, like size-wise. But back then, he's, he's like just a wide, massive yeah. frame of a man. After the first couple of minutes of this match were just the faces of fear against the Nasty Boys. I felt like we were getting a good amount of all six guys in this match later mm-hmm. on, which I think is the goal for a quote-unquote successful three-way tag team match. Scott Hall proves my earlier point, making a blind tag to Brian Nobbs, who is, again, stupid. And just like that, Hall is out of the ring again, and we get even more of just the faces of fear and the nasty boys being on each other. This, to me, barely makes even sense in kayfabe. Why would they be always fighting each other? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And now here comes what is essentially the the big moment of the match. <laughs> yeah. When Ming and Brian Nobbs both tag in the outsiders. It's this big moment. They think they're so smart. So clever. And Mark Curtis is selling the shit out of this. Yeah. He keeps pointing at Hall, pointing at Nash, and pointing down at the mat. Like, yeah. you're supposed to wrestle each you other. You guys have to fight. It's the rules. Right. Then the outsiders try to tag out, and both of the other teams jump off of their apron to make yep. sure they're not able to tag out, which I kind of—it was, it was a nice moment. Once the outsiders are forced to wrestle, Kevin Nash immediately lays down for Scott Hall, which is some also haunting foreshadowing of 1999. 
Is that when the New Age Outlaws? Oh, yeah, I get what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. When did the New Age Outlaws do this? Didn't they do this at WrestleMania in a tag match with the same shitty rules? Probably. I don't remember. I'm really. pretty sure, like, maybe even the next. It's either the next year or the year after yeah. the New Age Outlaws do the exact same bit. Right. I I mean, look, the rules are stupid, and this is stupid, and it's kayfabe exploding, but it's also hilarious. It's also, like, I love moments. I, I hate and love moments like this mm. in wrestling. I think I hate this more than love it because it's in a title match. Like, you maybe do this kind of shit on something that's, like, not as important. Mm-hmm. But I think it's funny. I think you've got this thing where, like, somebody – it's it's – it feels like a Scott Hall thing to me to be like, he's, he's got a good creative mind and to be like, well, if these are the rules, why wouldn't we do this? And then finding a way to incorporate it into the match. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I could, I feel like a lot of people are probably going to hate this, but I do see, like I have some defense of it as being very funny, (laughs) but, but what doesn't help is that almost immediately once outsiders are tagged in, Tony Schiavone mentions yeah. that they just have to pin each other. It makes the other teams look really, really stupid. Yeah. Because he says that even before the other teams jump off of the apron. Yeah. So they're getting themselves set up to lose. I think maybe that's um, part of the problem of, you know, that goes with the not telling the announcers the story ahead of time. Right. Because, like, yeah. Tony saying that ruins the surprise of it happening. Yeah. And yeah, if you have if you have more time to th- think about it, it reflects badly on the other teams when you should just be laughing at the comedy that you're seeing. Sure. But al- also though the nasties are not like I and the faces of fear, neither of them are a team that relies on being as portrayed as smart. Right. That's like that's not really the deal with those teams. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Scott Hall covers Kevin Nash and the other two the other two teams break up the pin and we have another brawl. Now remember, Hall and Nash are still the legal guys. Nobbs eventually grabs Jimmy Hart, who is on the ring apron, and punches him, leaving Jimmy Hart's megaphone in the ring. Hall grabs the megaphone, nails Nobbs, then Nash powerbombs him and pins the illegal man to win, while the other three wrestlers on the outside are pretending they're pretending they're too slow to break it up. Yeah. They had all the opportunity to break it up. They were right next to the referee who was halfway out of the ring, and they could have pulled him out like lots of wrestlers do, but they just... They just gave up. It was just a surrendering. And my last note of this is this whole thing sucked. (laughs) I felt like the the only thing accomplished was it just made you very aware of the rules of this match. Yeah. And how terrible the rules are. Yeah. Yeah. This match sucked. Um, There's no two ways about it. It's not worth dissecting a bunch. It just was there. It ate up time. The NWO continue to win everything that they're involved in. You know, Hall and Nash have have certainly dominated the few matches that we've seen that they're involved in. Um, so that's about it. It's uh, it's finally time to move on to the Battle Royal when Tony mentions that Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper are going to meet at Starcade, uh, but he says that the Battle Royal is going to determine the next man to face Hulk Hogan for the title. Uh, and this implies to me, and maybe it's only through the power of retrospect or, or being uh, the fact that we're living in the future, uh, but it implies that Hogan and Piper is not for the title, which becomes an important <laughs> contention at Starcade yeah. that we're going to talk about. But I think it's funny that if you read between the lines here, they're almost telling you that right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of funny. Before the match, Bobby is sticking to his prediction that Dean Malenko is going to win. Dusty goes join to 
Dusty goes off to join Mike Tanay as they're going to be handling announcing duties for ring number one. Tony and Bobby are going to stay at ring number two. And ring number three is going to have the dynamite team of Lee Marshall and Larry Zabisco. <laughs> yeah, I I was going to make a note. I was going to put that on Twitter, but I just didn't get around to it. But I yeah. was going to make a note that this is definitely the ring three team. <laughs> yes. And and you could tell that Larry Zabisco is like, he realizes he's on the ring three team. So he, he barely <laughs> even wants to look at Lee Marshall or pay attention to what they're doing. Lee Marshall fills us in on what happened with that Benoit Sullivan match from last night's house show. Uh, I've never seen a house show match built up with so much importance like this. Right. Where they mention it for weeks ahead of time and then they tell you on a pay-per-view what happened at the house show. Right. Uh, but apparently they had a crazy match uh, where they fought all over the place. They wound up in the bathroom again. Only this time the Dungeon of Doom was lying in wait in the bathroom. They ambushed Benoit, beat the shit out of him. Uh, Lee Marshall doesn't go into specifics uh, after just saying they were ambushed in the bathroom, yeah. but uh, doesn't sound like it went too well for the old crippler. And, and not, nothing about that match makes sense because doing like the spot in the bathroom makes sense for television. Right. So I'm, I'm almost like, I doubt that even happened at a house show. Well, I, maybe they just had a, um, you know, a, maybe it's a stadium that had a screen set up like a scoreboard that they could live broadcast to. That's all I can think of. I don't know. Who knows? We'll never I, know. If I was going to guess, I'm guessing they made up that part of the match. I should look <laughs> through the Observer and see if there is, because he has house show reports sometimes, so maybe that'll be in there. Yeah. Anyway, Lee Marshall sends it to Tanae, who's with Dusty. They do a little bit more pre-match uh, preamble without saying anything new. We then go back to Tony and Bobby as music plays and the entrances begin. Uh, we're going to start. We're going to do live commentary. I, I don't think I mentioned that yet. We're going to actually do some live commentary for the main event. But before we cut over to our live portion, I want to run through the announcers and their predictions because uh, mm-hmm. we get all six of them who they think is going to win. Yep. Le- clearly, they have not talked about this ahead of time, which I think is funny because four of them pick the same guy, or three of them do. But Lee Marshall says Kevin Nash. Larry says Lex Luger. Dusty says Lex Luger or Conan. Apparently, he doesn't know how picking <laughs> a guy to win works. Yeah. Tanae says Lex Luger. Bobby says Dean Malenko. He's sticking by uh, with his guns. And Tony says the giant. Uh, so we are going to set up our recording. We're going to move over so that we can watch this live. Uh, and I'm going to give you the exact moment where you, if you want to watch this with our commentary live on the network, I will let you know exactly where to uh, pause and unpause from. So we'll see you in a couple seconds. My office... It's a 12 by 12 cage made out of wood, iron, and steel. There are no coffee breaks. Meetings are dog-eat-dog. And my co-workers, 400-pound men that want to drill me into the floor. Just another day at the office. Up up with Sting and the big boys of the WCW. Live on WCW Monday Nitro. Every Monday night at 8 on TNT. All right. Well, we are all set up here in our live broadcast booth here at 20 Years of Nitro Studios. Uh, if you want to, if you actually want to fire this up on the network and have our commentary going along with the match, uh, I'm going to just make it easy and you can go from exactly uh, two hours and eight minutes, that exact point in time. To- Mike today is going to be in, in mid sentence when you turn it on, but it doesn't matter because you're going to be listening to us and not to him. Uh, so if you go from. Two hours and eight minutes 
and unpause at the, I'm going to count three, two, one, and then unpause. You'll unpause there, and you'll have me and Dave doing commentary for your Hooray. listening pleasure. So three, two, one, unpause. Tanae and Dusty uh, going through their thoughts in the match. Dusty, like I said, he he, he thinks it's either going to be Lex Luger or Conan, hmm. which is probably one of the more out there. You were talking earlier about DDP. And some, like, who are some other guys that maybe a DDP level who c- could conceivably win this? Um, and it wouldn't be like a total shock. Oh, on DDP's level? Um, boy, I mean, initially I'm thinking like there's like several NWO members. Sure. That, that could win. Um, it's going to be, I can't remember all 60 guys. Yeah. Oh, uh, sure. Well, I'm just, so like a couple names that pop into my mind, guys that could win who would be a surprising winner but wouldn't just, like, completely be ridiculous, I think. Uh, mm. Going back to last year, I think Bobby Heenan kept talking about Eddie Guerrero last year. Yeah. That would be a guy who could win this. I think DDP is a great choice. The only thing is that he's a heel. Um, and so I know that he's been getting over – he's been getting babyface reactions from the cutter, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's quite at the level where he can take on Hogan right I, now. I can't, I, can't, I can't remember if he has recovered yet from his match with the Giant, but I could see if Jack Jarrett – being an option yep yep um maybe chris benoit uh chris benoit is definitely on my list um you know he definitely wouldn't win that title match but he would be somebody sure who i think could easily have a great match have the horseman at his back fighting the nwo trying to give him a fair shot mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately he comes up just short like that could be something that would really make him a star uh as we see the combatants start to enter the arena we've got lex eddie who the hell is that there are some guys in this match who I don't know. That guy was just wearing a Patriots jersey. He was wearing, yeah, blood so. Uh, I have in my notes some of these guys who we don't know, and I'll talk about them later. We've got uh, high energy, high, high voltage. voltage. Thank yeah. you. Yep. Uh, Wall Street, the American males. American males not looking very like friendly with each other right now. Ah, Craig Pittman, despite being a maybe being a heel, like we talked about on Worldwide, he's still saluted. Now we've uh, got some Dungeon of Doom guys. We've got oh, Ron <laughs> Studs here. Oh, he's holding his head. He's so mad. He he's can barely so hold it in. <laughs> There's Regal, LaParka. La- uh, La- I believe that is Pez Watley. LaParka not dancing to the ring is just, that's that's weird. Deborah's out with Mongo. I think she leaves immediately after this because I don't remember seeing her at ringside when I watched. I watched this earlier to kind of scout it out. Renegade, Joe Gomez. We haven't seen him in a while. Faces of fear. They are like they're still sweating from the match they just had. Yeah, there's but I love the bunkhouse buck gimmick. I love the idea that his gimmick is like I don't. He's like a Appalachian woodsman or something. He lives in a bunkhouse. Yeah, he. I love his outfit, Cyclope. Here's Galaxy, who we still have. Uh, we've only saw him laid out in the ring at the beginning of last week's show. He we've looks, never actually watched. He him looks wrestling. like he should be like a Power Rangers villain. All right, here comes the NWO. We've got. Six, the Outsiders right behind him, and the Giant right behind them. They are the entrance for the NWO. For whatever reason, Vincent isn't in the match. Obviously, Hogan isn't. Nash is swilling something from a plastic cup. Um, it looked like Mountain Dew. Let's hope. There's a Flash Norton, Dragon Jimmy Graffiti. I would love to see him get a title shot. Finally, <laughs> finally, <laughs> after all this time. Me and Mike Penis. Mm-hmm. Little Ray Ray. Ray Ray's here. 
I love that there, there's names going on the screens next to them, but the names do not at all correspond to they're, who's coming out. They're just random. Roadblock. Here's a so here's Ice Train. He is you know before he had the singlet with the shorts, which I think was a good look for him. Then last time we saw him, he had switched up to pants, which was not a good look. Uh-huh. Now he's wearing a singlet, but without the shorts part, and I don't think that's a good look for him either. I don't know why he's messing with a good thing. I think he's just throwing anything at the wall and seeing what sticks. All right, somebody's standing in the wall for or the entryway for a long time. Who is it? Oh shit! It's woman. It's Benoit. He's got a bunch of fake bruises to show how serious the match from last night was. Oh, those are terrible. Woman looked incredible. Yeah, those those were pretty fake. And he had fake bruises just recently um, after his his match from the last pay per view. Yeah, woman woman has like a very interesting outfit that almost looks like wrestling gear for her. So here's uh, I've got all the names of all the guys that are in this match that have never appeared on Nitro. Uh, we've got Galaxy. We saw as I mentioned we've seen him laid out. Tony Rumble is okay. a guy in this match. Mark Starr, Villano Four, Pez Watley, and Jack Boot are all the guys we've never seen. Uh, so like I said, Galaxy was technically on last week. Jack Boot has been on Nitro as the Leprechaun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's normally a trainer down at the. Um, down at the power plant. Tony Rumble, this is his only WCW match. We're never going to see him again as the uh, Faces of Fear, the the Dungeon of Doom, rather, and the Horsemen start battling on the outside immediately before the match even begins. You can tell it's serious because Doug Dillinger is right there. Uh, we'll talk about Villano 4 next week when we talk about Nitro. Pez Watley has been a jobber a few times on, on TV. Mark Starr was an occasional non-televised jobber. Who treat uh, Mark Starr was in a tag team with Chris Canyon, Men at Work, where they were like construction workers. Yeah, and uh, that's just that's all the guys that we've never seen. So we start off here. There's a battle on the outside. We are not seeing any of the battle royal. Instead, we're seeing crowd brawl action with Benoit and Sullivan. Uh, this is like the first. I mean, this match is is overbooked by just design. Sixty man battle royal is overbooking. The fact that we are not even watching it. Instead, we're watching a crowd brawl. Yep. It's just insane. Like, and, talk about a hat on top of a hat. And and, and remember, this is like for a, a world championship match. Right. Like, so this should be important to every single one of them. But but now we have two stables, about six or eight guys. Right. That have just decided to ignore the fact that they have this championship opportunity and just uh, fight. And, and it's really for a few that's between two guys. So now we split to the what we're going to get most of this in um, and talk right in that microphone, by the way. Yeah, we're going to get most of this in this three screen split screen, um, which is hilarious because you can't see anything going on, including an insane shot. They uh, Sullivan just threw Benoit down the steps. We've seen that in one of their other matches. It's an insane bump, and we barely could make out what happened because it was in a split screen. Then as soon as it was done, they realized, oh, crap, we shouldn't have done that. And they went just to a single shot of what was going on, but it was too late. Yep. Bubba did a more gentle bump down the steps. He laid down on the steps and then rolled backwards. Now, I mean, this, the battle Royal has not been paused or anything. They're not waiting for these guys. (laughs) It's just going on. All right. Back to the split screen. It is total chaos. One thing, uh, with the real announcing, that's a massive problem. Uh, so normally the announcers are calling everything from their monitor. Uh, but the monitor is of no use because the monitor would just show them 
this three screen split. Yeah. And on a tiny monitor at ringside, you wouldn't be able to make out anything. So instead, they're watching what's happening in front of them. Mm -hmm. So they are constantly telling you about eliminations or things that are going on in the ring that you can't see because the camera is not at the same angle of the ring that the announcers are. Yes. So the announcing for this match is absolute chaos. It never matches up Mm -hmm. with what you're seeing. Uh, yeah, like like what I mentioned earlier on in the pay per view about the announcers like turning around and acknowledging that there's action behind them. Right. I only mean that as far as like for a visual, like as a person watching, seeing that they're acknowledging this. Right. Obviously, watching a monitor is the best way to do the commentary. Right. So you are seeing what the the viewer is seeing. You're commenting on what we're seeing instead of like there are there are going to be a few instances here. Yeah. Yeah. If you end up if you're a person that's listening to this but then watches it later with the regular commentary where they'll be talking about eliminations or potential eliminations yeah. of guys you cannot see on screen. All right, so I want to draw attention to two things. In the upper right, there is still a big fight on the outside that has caused the announcers, uh, Tony Zabisco and Lee Marshall, so that's at ring number three. They've had to get up, and I just want to make sure that we note that, that they're not at the desk because Lee Marshall is going to see some action here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, down in the bottom ring is the ring number two where all the NWO are. So there we go. Lee Marshall, he <laughs> is some reason on the ground, and Meng kicks the shit out of him, and then the Barbarian kicks the shit out of him. And at least that first kick from Meng and the first one from Barbarian were stiff as hell. Yeah. They, for whatever reason, had an issue. They wanted to settle with Lee Marshall. Yes. Holy Finally. shit. Finally. It appears to have been somewhat part of the plan because when Marshall's back on commentary, he's selling it in his big, goofy, overly yes. like dramatic way. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, I mean, he's selling it in the Lee Marshall like silly way. Oh, he's about to get kicked again here. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> he's really setting you. Maybe, maybe Lee Marshall had that moment where he was just like, if I'm going to take some kicks, you, you, you really need to lay into me. Yeah. And now he's laying there regretting that decision, <laughs> just coughing, just probably feeling like he's about to die. The ref has to check on him. So the other thing I want to talk about uh, is really the biggest flaw in this match, and it's unfolding on the bottom screen right now in ring number two, and that is the NWO, all four of them, just stand in a corner and do nothing. Uh, and it makes perfect sense from the NWO's point of view. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But uh, WCW is just seething with anger at all times. How are these NWO? Oh, they're just running roughshod. We, we've got a band together. And instead, they let these four guys, for the most part, just stand there doing nothing. Yeah. Why don't they band together? If, if I was fantasy booking this, uh, I would have, like, all the guys from all rings jump into ring two and try to throw the NWO out. And then you've got to find a way to get out of that, because if your NWO are eliminated immediately, I get that that kills the suspense to a degree. Mm. Um, But there had to be something creative they could have done, other than all the WCW guys looking like complete idiots. Well, I mean, I think we see if either the next year or the year following. There's There's one year where as soon as the match begins the Giants just pitching guy after guy after guy over the top rope yeah um and they maybe that that's something they could have done here where if they all attack they're like we'll sick the giant on them sure and if you have the giant just pitching out all these minor guys then it could maybe discourage people from going after them so that could um, be yeah. but I I agree especially since this is supposed to be like a few between two opposing organizations and yet they don't no one else seems to really care yeah, and NWO does not seem interested in eliminating people. They like all four of them were teaming up on Disco Inferno. Yeah, and then they just left them the fuck alone. Right, after that. right. Like, 
there's like no sense of urgency in regards to the NWO in this when that is like the biggest story that they have going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so right now, it is impossible. Like you're just getting here's a guy whipping a guy in a corner. Meanwhile, there's another guy whipping another guy in a different corner. Yep. Jack Boot. There's Volano. He's trying to throw out uh, Jeff Jarrett in the upper left. Ice Train and PCO going at each other. There's Johnny Grunge still looking fat. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little less fat than two weeks ago. Maybe now that he's back, he's getting some exercise. <laughs> or or maybe you just kind of let it blow up in your mind of how fat he looked like <laughs> That previously. could be. That could be. I, I saw that LaParco was wandering around. I have no idea if he's out or not. Um, he's not yet. There's Yeah, that's another thing is that because in a in just like in any battle royal, guys go through the middle ropes – so sometimes the announcers won't mention anything. You'll just see a guy walking on the floor, and you're like, oh, he's he's out. And then 10 minutes later, he's in the match again, and it's very confusing. Yeah. All right. Uh, up in the upper right, DDP laying into Kenny Chaos. Uh, there's Harlem Heat. They're getting into it with Benoit and Guerrero. Oh, no, that's uh, Bagwell, rather. Rochester Roadblock, he's still in. It's uh, For the very beginning... It's very slow paced with eliminations. It mm -hmm. seems like it takes a long time before guys really start going. And one thing I love is the announcers keep asking the other crews. They're like, "Hey, What's uh, the hey, head count." Yeah. yeah, they're like, "Tony is a uh, Cyclope still in over there?" And Tony's just like, oh, "I got no idea, man." <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, they'll ask like, "Well, what's a head count in your ring?" And it's like, "I, I don't know. I have no idea how many people are in the ring here." <laughs> Uh, but it, it does seem like at the very beginning with the two stables feuding yeah. that they were just like, okay, no one get eliminated right away. Right. It, and it's a very, it, it, yeah, it's just very weird because like most of the other World War Three uh, battle royals that they have, at the very beginning, like 10 guys go out right away. Sure. Like at the very, very ongoing, on, on from the get-go. Um, also, one of the very first people eliminated in this entire match was Scott Norton, which yeah. is just disappointing. There went, I don't know who that was. That must be Mark Starr or Tony Rumble. Sure. It's funny because these guys who you've never heard of are some of the only eliminations that get called on time. Yeah. Like, I remember early in the match, they just go, Tony Rumble's been eliminated, and there's no explanation who that is. Mm -hmm. Like I said, he's had, like, maybe one televised match ever in WCW, and they, yeah. they act like we all know. I I mean, I get the idea that it's, like, World War Three, so yeah. it's three rings. Like, I understand that gimmick but it seems like it would work substantially better if it was just two rings it's also funny that of course it's exactly twice as many men as in the royal rumble right like, it's, it's like <laughs> it's just such a clear ploy on their part my as, rumble's bigger than yours there's ron stud who uh dusty at one point in the match refers to as big john stud and then immediately has to correct himself <laughs> sure so yeah, do you think, uh, just as like a general policy, should after last year, should they have brought this gimmick back at all? Is there any hope in ever having this? And I think you're right. I think there's two more after this. Like, was there any hope as Prince Iakea splats to the mat? Mm -hmm. Was there any hope that this could ever work as compelling television? Well, I think they had to, I mean, I from the get-go, they should have had an understanding of how we're going to shoot this. How yeah. are we going to have this viewable where I, it doesn't seem like the, there was a very cohesive plan other than right. the three the three cameras, which is just not very visually appealing, and it's not very easy to follow. Yeah, we should say you and I are watching this on a 55-inch 
HD TV. I mean, I know it was shot in standard definition, but still the HD like cleans it up a little bit. And it's still like incomprehensible what's happening a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. If we were watching this on a standard definition TV that was, you know, back in the day, you didn't just own a 55 inch like your rich friend might. But like, you know, 32 was like a much more standard size. Mm -hmm. If I'd paid 50 bucks and I was trying to watch this on a 32 inch tube TV, I would I think I would end up asking for my money back. (laughs) It would be like it would just it would literally be unwatchable. Yeah. Well, I I think for one thing, they should have not been obsessed with the three thing. And yeah. Just gone with two. I think two would have been fine. And then they should have figured out, you know what? It should be one shot at, at any given time. We just need to learn how to know, like when to go from one point to another, to another, like, uh, I mean, I know WWE gets a lot of like flack for how met, how much they switch cameras. Right. But I think that would work for this where it's like, you just have to figure out where the compelling action is at any given time. Instead of trying to, get a viewer to focus on three different images at once like this. It's just, it, it, it is very disorienting and it's not, it's not interesting. It's not appealing. It's just a big mess. Like you just, you get no understanding of what's going on in any of these rings. So I believe the rules are that when, uh, when 30 of the men, when half of them have been eliminated, then they are all to consolidate in one ring. So we're starting to thin out a little bit. We're not down nearly that much yet. We've got uh, in our upper right, JL's in trouble. Jack Boot in uh, ring number three is giving it to Juventud Guerrero. And in the bottom, we've got Disco Inferno, who is getting manhandled by the Rochester Roadblock. Yeah. Uh, Disco, I I think there's a running theme with him constantly being like thrown uh, under the top rope because he's, he's constantly on the outside and then well, getting there, back in. There you go. He was just on the bottom there. But I think because it's shot so poorly and the there's just so much chaos that I don't think that storyline that was meant to be a funny running thread, mm-hmm. I don't think you really pick up on that unless you've ended up watching this twice. Like, I have no, Right. It's something that, like, it, I could see in a Royal Rumble that would be, like, a Disco Inferno would be a perfect character to do that with, too. Mm-hmm. To just constantly, he's not being eliminated, but he ends up on the outside and you always think he's out and then he gets back in there. Uh, his pants say Le Freak this time instead of Disco. Um, but, I mean, getting back to your uh, question about, like, doing this sort Ooh, of Roadblock match, and Giant getting into it. Yeah. I Yeah, I I think once they did the first one, there was kind of a point of no return, though. Sure. Because I, I feel like no one would be willing to say, like, three rings is a failure. Let's drop it down to two. All right. Here comes uh, Roadblock, punched Giant, Giant no-sold. Big clothesline. The camera cuts to the only angle of the ring where you couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So you don't get to see him. And then he is just bunched up against the guardrail. Looked like he took a hell of a spill. And then, of course, now that he's out of the ring and it wasn't important, two cameras are focused on him. <laughs> and now, and, and see, the even though they cut back, now there's confusion. Like, am I seeing all three rings yeah. now or, or what's going on here? They, yeah, they miss so much uh, despite having all these cameras. And it was the same last year. I remember the... Um, the elimination at the end was was partially missed. I mean, one thing I I mean, if you had to work on like you have to use the three rings, this is the way it is going to be. Yeah. Try to figure out a better way. Have the three rings have be different colors. Sure. So just visually That's a good look, idea, yeah. Oh, see, now we're again, we were at we were having Diamond Dallas page on two of the three cameras, which is this again, 
Unless they have they moved to another they ring now? They have not. No, they haven't. They're okay. still in three rings. Disco Inferno, <laughs> uh, despite his entire gimmick being based around liking Disco, is just doing the Macarena. Yeah. He has again been kicked under the bottom rope to the mm-hmm. outside. Also, their strategy of having the referees in the ring is yeah. questionable. Yes. I And there's referees outside the ring as well, because uh, you can see them sometimes milling about on the outside. So there's a ton of referees out here I guess to remind guys of spots but there's not really even spots in this match like there's an elimination order we're getting one of the few spots in the upper left where uh the, the everyone in the ring like ran a train on doing corner splashes on Ron Studd um as we see Scotty Riggs and Marcus Bagwell doing their uh, corner splashes Studd is out on his feet now big Lexi he gets one Bagwell is calling for someone to eliminate him. Meanwhile, on the bottom screen, Ultimo Dragon is doing a headstand on the turnbuckle. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guerrera, I believe, is trying to pull him off. Someone. <laughs> That's six. Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh, and he got it. That, um, was, another, that was goofy. Another thing oh, was... hang on. I'm sorry. They're all pinning Ron Studd now. Yeah. John, everyone in, in ring number one has forgotten the rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you going to say? Um, just pointing out the NWO not really caring is that uh, Kevin Nash powerbombed. Disco Inferno, yeah. and then just left him there. <laughs> he didn't like. It, it's one thing if they're going, if they're trying to make sure that they're the last guy surviving. Sure. But if they seem like they don't care about eliminating people, that kind of takes a lot of the yeah the uh, importance of the match. I can't believe I'm leading. Like, I am a big hater of the time that Randy Savage tried to pin Yokozuna in the Royal Rumble because it made him look like such an idiot. Yeah, that just made twelve guys look like idiots when they tried to pin Ron mm. Studd. It was a, it, I mean, it was a funny visual. Six did a uh, Bronco Buster yeah. on Ultimo Dragon down there. We had the amazing French Canadians fighting Hacksaw at ringside. I don't know if this is elimination or anything. I think they're out. Uh, uh, no, Hacksaw just punched Ultimo Dragon, who was seated in the corner from outside the ring. Babyface Hacksaw. What a dick. Eddie Guerrero just jumped over the top rope. Yeah, he's not eliminated. We were, you were mentioning this earlier. Wrestlers from, uh, you speci- specifically said, like, international wrestlers. Eddie's not quite, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, he yeah, he's, he does a slingshot plancha over the top rope, and then just he's still in the match. Over in ring number one, uh, we, the cameras missed it, but what happened is that Bagwell eliminated Scott Riggs. Yeah. And then he got eliminated himself, so now they're on the outside continuing their breakdown. Mm-hmm. See, it's every man for himself is what Marcus Alexander Bagwell is probably saying, but this is just another on the laundry list of things <laughs> that he's done. It is a good, I love if, I mean, if you are having a tag team having problems, putting them in a battle royal is like, yes, it's just like, that's right itself, baby. You know well, exactly where to and go And it's going to happen at the next Royal Rumble. Owen Hart's going to eliminate Davy Boy Smith, one yep. of our tag team champions. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a commonly used trope, but it, like if executed <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> In, in the top right one, um, Rick Steiner got eliminated. He walked by the American Males. Scott Riggs punched him, and Rick Steiner just didn't feel like continuing to wrestle, so he just walked past them. <laughs> he just acted Fair like enough. the punch didn't. He was just like, no, Fair no enough. thanks. Yep. <laughs> Hard pass. Uh, Hoovy just got drop kicked up there. Meanwhile, Ray and Dragon are doing flippy shit. Yeah, trying to give the audience a little more good wrestling before the night's over. Well, the NWO is just kind of like watching. Well, wouldn't you? 
Uh, so now they are being told to consolidate. It's a long process, but they are supposed to start the process of moving into the other ring. And here is maybe the worst production decision of the entire night. They all get into one ring, and we continue with the three split screen uh, for another, like, ten minutes. They don't get rid of that until we're down to ten people. Hmm. So at any given time, you're watching three angles of one ring, but it creates this weird optical illusion where I'm not always sure if it's one ring. Like, it took me forever when I watched this earlier to kind of take notes. I was like, are they all in one ring? Are they not? I was yeah. so confused. I don't know why on earth would you continue with the three split when you can just have one camera angle like every other battle royal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's just a really, really bad uh, directorial decision. I don't get it. TDP is walking around the outside. He's not eliminated. I know that. Yeah, him and Eddie Guerrero were chasing each other around outside the ring uh, for for the laughs. Yeah, they've been fighting a lot in this match, and the announcers have drawn attention to them kind of continuing their heated feud from earlier in the year here mm-hmm. during the Battle Royal. Uh, Booker T laying into somebody with the help of Jack Boot. Who is that? Renegade. That is the Renegade. Of course, Lord Seaman Regal is sweating profusely. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, well, this is in the middle of some personal crises for him, unfortunately. There is Booker T and Sergeant Craig Pittman trying to eliminate Nash. Now that finally, now that everyone's in the ring together, <laughs> Regal get thumbed in the eye by Booker. <laughs> that was good. Now, finally, people are trying to fight the NWO now that uh, 30 men are in one ring. DDP finally entering. This is the closest that Big Rod and Stun's going to get to, like, winning, isn't it? Uh, yeah, th- yep. This is the closest he gets probably, you could say, in a way, to a world championship within his lifetime. Yep. He was, he was like, at most 29 men away. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, halfway there. Imagine getting eliminated in this match before Jack Boot, who finally... Is kicked to the ground there. Yeah, I I think Scott Norman was like the fourth guy out or something like that. So yeah, ridiculous. Although I guess hey, if you're not winning, uh, I'd rather get to the showers earlier. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or or to the point where you're eliminated, so you don't even have to shower. Oh, there goes Johnny Grunge. Quickly oh, tries no. to pull oh, his, his jersey knee. over oh, his fat belly. Oh, his knee hurts still. Well, he just had surgery on mm-hmm. it. Bunkhouse Bunkhouse Buck still in this match. We could finally have our Bunkhouse Buck versus Hulk Hogan feud that we've been begging for. <laughs> yeah, there, there could some of the matches that could come out of this would be hilarious, and Bunkhouse Buck versus Hulk Hogan is one of them. Yeah. Just this weird surly heel with a weird 1930s gimmick going up against cartoonish heel Hogan. Well, and that would be the sort of character that Hogan would be like, I'm going to put over for him a little bit too, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, he is tall. He's not very thick, but Bunkhouse Buck's but he, a tall guy. But And he also loves like going against the cartoon heels, yes, too. Yes, absolutely. Ron, so we've still got... Uh, oh, who is that? There's Malenko. Cruiserweight champ is sent out by Jeff Jarrett. And no, noteworthy is that no one brings this up to Bobby Heenan. No one mentions that his... Elim- oh, his yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because his thing, is, like with the Royal Rumble, was that he would just pick someone else yes. or suggest that he'd never picked him, but they totally missed that. All right. People are flying now. Pittman is out. Booker is out. We're finally starting to get some movement. It looks like we've still got maybe 25 guys, 22, something like that. And maybe down to the teens. Booker wanted, wanted to like get back at Nash and Nash is like, dude, just whatever. <laughs> I'm just, 
that's Disco. He's still in there. We've got the Giant. We've got Booker, Bunk, or Stevie Ray, rather, Bunkhouse Buck, Jeff Jarrett. Chris Jericho is still in there, DDP. I, for, I forgot about Jericho until his, like, face was right there. DDP uh, getting some turnbuckle thanks to Jericho. Um, by the, and by the way, much earlier, Chris Jericho also did the try to pin someone. I think he would try to pin Hooventude or something like that. Up oh, Disco over, but not out. Oh, Rick Steiner's still in the match. So when he got punched earlier and ignored Scotty Riggs, he was apparently on his way to the other ring. Right. He's like, that's he's he's like no, 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 no. You're, <laughs> you're out. You're out. Nash trying to eliminate and finally does. Disco Inferno is finally out of this match. Oh. DDP is also walking around the outside, but he is so not close. eliminated. He was so close to that championship match. Somehow Ice Train has lasted this long. I love Ice Train, but oh, there goes Bunkhouse Buck. Mm. I always like. I would suspect this is the last time we see Bunkhouse Buck as yeah. part of our podcast. But I always Stevie like Ray's the. Uh, I always like the eliminations where it's just like the wrestlers clearly like he he. It's it's his time to be eliminated. He's given up. Oh, who There's who was no it that effort. just tossed Ron Studd? I saw him go over. Alex Wright is standing. That couldn't be. Maybe well, it was. I bet it was Luger. Yeah, Luger's right there. It probably was Luger. Um, I think Rick's Rick is out. I don't see what happens, but R Mark Curtis R is trying Rick. to get him to leave. Dragon. Dragon. Dragon is out. Oh, he's so disappointed. He, has, he just has to go home with his eight titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'd rather a guy sell it. Alex Wright tipped mm -hmm. out and over. Yep. And Ultimo's like, you're out too? Oh, Steiner is out, but he is trying to eliminate the Giant anyway on the outside of the ring with the help of Eddie Guerrero, who is still in the match. Jarrett giving it to six. Meanwhile, just giving him the business. In the other screen, we were just focusing on Luger, who was standing in a corner doing nothing for like 20 seconds, <laughs> and the camera showed him the entire time. Oh, Regal eliminates Jericho. Mm -hmm. Jericho doing all the heavy lifting on yep. going over the ropes there. I will try not to noises like that. I can normally just edit out of the podcast, but this is a live commentary. So that's weird as live as live can be. My weird groan will be in there for all perpetuity. <laughs> I realize now I could have probably deleted it anyway, but now I've talked about it for 20 seconds. So. And you can see from this bottom screen here <laughs> of, uh, of look, it's just one ring. Yes. That's we what we should be watching focused on this ice trains out. So we got a shot that that just further emphasize how ridiculous. I believe this is. we are just finally going to go to one screen in like two seconds. Here is the WCW guys. Yep, there we go. Oh, so and it's such a relief. Too. We've got six WCW guys. You've got DDP, Lex Luger, Rey Mysterio Jr., Jeff Jarrett. You can't really see Regal, but he's sitting in the corner right now behind Eddie Guerrero, just pouring sweat. And then the NWO, all their members are in six: Scott Hall, the Giant, and Nash. And here the psychology problems continue. As WCW doesn't join together, Jared takes it to the NWO, but DDP goes for Eddie. Regal just wanders around. He doesn't yeah. know what the <laughs> hell to do. So WCW continues to lose by just being split. They, they had the numbers advantage. They didn't use it. Uh, Eddie, Whoa! <laughs> Eddie takes a huge elimination going up and over for Regal. That was a pretty cool. Like Eddie really made the most yeah. of his little moment there. And in DDP's defense, he's been he spent like most of this fighting Eddie Guerrero. So I could see him going back and trying to. Well, get... and his whole character is about being on the fence. So DDP's the one character in WCW I don't yeah. mind. Here we go. The giant one hand. He's holding up Rey Mysterio. He waves bye bye oh. and throws him single handedly over the top rope and into Eddie Guerrero. Probably the coolest spot in the entire match. Yes. Uh, that was awesome. 
I know Ray's tiny, but still, what an incredible show of strength. DDP gets DD, uh, Jarrett gets DDP over the ropes, but DDP rolls back in. Everybody's paired off except for Nash and the Giant, who are just watching. <laughs> <laughs> Hall, he's got Jarrett. He calls for the Outsider's Edge. Is he just going to throw Jarrett over the top rope, though? No, Regal finally, finally WCW working together as Regal saves Jarrett. It's not enough, though, as <laughs> Nash takes Jarrett over the top rope. Oh. Jarrett still looks like a complete boob. Whoa. DDP <laughs> dives at Regal, who pulls the rope down. DDP is eliminated. So we're down to the NWO, Regal, and Luger. Regal, it takes the entire NWO. Regal, the surprisingly strong <laughs> contender of this match. Yep. Who, who would have thought it? But four men are needed to ease <laughs> his lordship over the top rope. And oh. a punch from Hall <laughs> makes it official. <laughs> it is down to Lex Luger, the odds-on favorite going into the match. Certainly the guy who's been built up as the hope of WCW against the Outsiders 6 and the Giant. This is the crowd is hot for this. Like this is what like honestly it, it uh, the odds are insane. It's it's a silly idea that he could even compete, but this is like what the crowd wants, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Everyone is dying for this. All right, Pack of Wolves moves in. 6 first, Luger nails him. Hall Luger runs through Hall, he runs through Nash. He gets him down. Everybody but the Giant is now leveled. Giant Irish whips Luger over into the corner. Goes for the big charge. But oh no, Luger ducks. Giant hung up on the ropes. The crowd goes nuts here. They think that he's going to eliminate him by kicking him over. But no, Luger's going to go for the torture rack. Which he has him backwards. He has him backwards, but it's still impressive as hell. Mm -hmm. He should have thrown him over, though. That makes no sense. (laughs) Six kicks him in the back. None of this makes any sense. Hall calls for the outsider's edge again, but nope. He is up and over. It is Lex against three men. Oh, Gorilla Press to six, and he's out as well. It's now just Luger and the NWO's two biggest guys, uh, in terms of size anyway, Nash mm-hmm. and the Giant. Loaded forearm to Nash. He calls to the torture rack. Again, not the best strategy in a battle royal. Yes. But he does uh, move him towards the ropes, <laughs> allowing the Giant to push him. Nash goes over. The camera misses the Giant, eliminating Lex Luger. Again, two years in a row in this battle royal that the winner, uh, the winning elimination has been off camera. But the Giant pushes over Luger. The Giant is the sole remaining competitor. The Giant has earned a title shot at an unspecified future date against Hollywood Hulk Hogan. The NWO pose in the ring, all except for Nash, who is probably nursing a quad on the outside. Uh <laughs> Uh, this is, you know, they go on like this for a few minutes. Uh, we won't continue to call all the action. Um, it's really just we get Pyro. The NWO poses in the ring. They try to get Lex to come in and fight them four on one. Lex is, he's no Roddy Piper. He's not dumb enough to actually do it. Mm-hmm. So he just walks out and we it's a won. Very, very anticlimactic feeling like of the the victory here, especially since like the whole um, reaction of the giant where he's like, all right, that was the that was the work for the evening. We're done now. Um, yeah, let's all hang out. It was a good time. It, it's like it's supposed to be like one of the biggest matches of the year, but it, it just feels like that the person that won it could care less. Yeah, um, I so obviously I don't think we need to say our thoughts in the match because we've been doing it for having like it was bad. It was just yeah. When it got down to ten guys, it got a little better. Um, it went maybe a little too fast though. Uh. 
what I want to talk about is like, was that the right decision? And I think unequivocally, 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 the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Lex Luger should have won that match. They had huge momentum yep. built up with Lex. They booked it really smartly. I mean, I, I wouldn't do this match at all, but if you're going to, I would get it down to the NWO and Lex, and then Lex fights back. Maybe Sting is involved somehow. Maybe he just appears. He doesn't actually help Lex, but he just appears. Mm-hmm. Something happens from that or something. But Lex Luger absolutely should have won that match and capitalized on all his momentum. Yep. I'm assuming you, maybe they don't want to go that way because they don't want Hogan to lose yet, and it would suck. You'd kill Luger's momentum if he won and then lost the title match. Sure. Uh, but really, he should have won that match. Hogan can do his program with Piper, and then, I mean, you're you're talking, you could get all the way to March or April before you actually have Luger cash in this title shot on yeah. Hogan. Yeah, and, so th- and th- there's like, in, there's future time in which it does take like four months right. or so, so they could have just... Hat maybe just have um, you know Hogan p- push it off or have reasons or just th- they could find ways to delay it if they wanted to. Yeah, this undeniable title shot that that Lex Luger is owed that he d- maybe has to go through like hoops or just has to kind of wait his time. So no, I I agree. I think that Luger is the um, should have been the winner and and there wasn't really a story about like it doesn't feel like the story was that Luger lost. Right. It it feels like the story was like, okay, this is our opportunity to get a match against the NWO's like champion. And the NWO won instead. The story again, feels like the NWO is better than everyone. They're always going to win. There's Mm -hmm. nothing WCW can ever do to to stand up to the NWO. Right. Uh, And I just don't see like, I know I kind of have a few ideas um, based on my knowledge of, of where this goes with a giant, um, but it just feels like there's no need to your choices are either a the NWO wins the title shot and they just like keep it in their pocket mm-hmm. and that sucks or you start having like internal dissension with the NWO right. and that's way too early to happen. Yeah, especially with a giant who's one of their newer members. Yep. Uh, so that doesn't make any sense. I guess the one thing you could do is you could have Luger versus the Giant at Starcade with the title match on the line. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been better to have Luger win tonight. But, like, still you can get that title shot to Luger and you just delay his, like, his victory um, and give him another hoop he has to jump through to get to Hogan. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't quite think that's where they ultimately go. So I really think they left money on the table here by not... Like, Lex Luger had an amazing 1996... Uh, he's really the star of the show. He deserved the win, and I think it was a major screw-up to not give it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, though, what were your thoughts on this pay-per-view as a whole? Good, bad, average, and different? It was pretty pointless. I mean, besides the contract signing, yeah. which um, basically the weeks leading up to this, we, we pretty much knew that was going to happen. Yeah. There, was, there really is not anything that – I mean, there's nothing from this pay-per-view where I'm – waiting for what happens the next night on Nitro. Sure. Um, and I, it doesn't really feel like, I mean, aside from the contract signing, which again didn't have, have to happen on this pay-per-view, there's nothing from this that feels like is leading up to the next pay-per-view. Yeah, I uh, at one point when I was looking at everything, I'd thought about not even covering this pay-per-view and going back to kind of how we did things at the beginning where we would just say the results. 
yes. on the next show. And yeah. ultimately, maybe we should have gone that way because this was a very nothing show. I really, um, I loved the first match. I loved Ray versus Ultimo Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but both those guys are have much better matches. Like this was a really good match, but it wasn't even either guy's best match that we're going to see. Yeah, I think I felt like we got a, we had a few very good Nitro matches. Yeah. But nothing that was like, oh, that's what they say for the pay-per-view. Yeah, this is definitely a show that I think uh, your your person going back through the network and just kind of wanting to relive the era, but not necessarily a completionist. Mm-hmm. This is definitely one that you could skip. And this is the of the World War Three pay-per-views. This is the one where I, it takes me a second to remember who wins. Sure. All right. Well. With all that out of the way, there's really just one thing left to do, and that is declare our match of the night and our MVP. And I guess, you know, this is a, a pay-per-view, but we we should clarify that it is segment of the night because I think that Piper segment was really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I tilted my hand there, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, I forget what I had in my notes. I might have actually had Ray and Dragon, but mm-hmm. after watching it and talking about it with you, I do think that I want to go ahead and say my segment of the night was the Piper Hogan angle. I thought yep. that was really strong, and I'm just happy to have a good build for a Hogan match instead of that savage stuff that was just really, really killer. And I've also been sick of Hogan's come out in the last segment of Nitro, turn the lights down, and do his like posing and pointing at his butt. Yeah. Like, I'm happy to have him focused on something. Right. Because his rambling promos are just the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, who? What was your segment or match of the night? I'm I'm going to agree because I feel like it's the only thing that comes out of this pay per view that has any like substance or any like point to it. Yeah. Really, and and I think I I feel like um this this might this is probably like the biggest match that's been that's been built up since like the Nitro since Nitro started. Other than uh, the Bash of the Beach match against the Outsiders and Team WCW. Oh, oh I mean. Uh, I should have clarified title match. Oh yes, then absolutely. Yes, uh, I feel like this is the biggest title match that we that we have going. Um, I thought the angle worked really well. Again, Piper has ability to make himself look like a formidable formidable opponent, even when he's being outnumbered. Um, whereas, like most, a lot of wrestlers, like Savage and and pretty much anyone else, um, would look like that they were just destroyed. Yeah. And that he still manages to make himself look like a, a threat. And and just like I was mentioning, it really seemed like that those two were going into each other. Um, like Hogan just just being thrown off his game by having like his like shirt torn and stuff like that. It's it it makes me really interested in how that match against each other is gonna yeah. go. It seems like it could just like go off the rails and that would be great. So <laughs> I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to that match. Um, I don't really have a memory of the match itself from when it like took place. So, sure. I, definitely, I would go with the that segment as being the really the only like significant part of this pay per view. All right, then who was your MVP? Uh, well, I think then I'll have to go with Roddy Roddy Piper again. I, right. I, he you he realizes his time better than anyone else. Um, on the side of uh, uh, this side of Ric Flair. Yeah. But Ric Flair had nothing. He has nothing going for him right now. Yeah, so that's really yeah. not his fault. Um, sure. Yeah. Like he, you can just tell like the, like t- those two are like, they're on like a different level as far as knowing how to get themselves over. All right. I'm going to give my MVP to the Ultimo Dragon. Uh, I really thought that match with him and Ray was very good. And I thought that it felt like to me, 
especially because Dragon was on the offense so much, uh, which to the, I guess I complained a little bit about. Mm-hmm. But I that to me established in my mind anyway that he was the one calling the match, and they were kind of. Uh, I talked in the Dean Psychosis match about how they were having a Dean Malenko match. Yeah. I felt the Ultimo Dragon Ray match was an Ultimo Dragon match. Yes. And that Ray was great in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to kind of credit sort of the construction uh, to the Ultimo Dragon. I thought he, he just executed his moves so crisply. I loved that ending powerbomb where he bounced Ray off the top rope and then spun around and hit a sit-out powerbomb. I thought that was really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that's all our notes on World War Three. Don't watch it unless you're playing our commentary over it, of course. <laughs> right. Because that's fun. Yep. Uh, if you like that, let us know. Maybe we'll try to do a little bit more of that in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. It was kind of fun to do. I've never done anything like that. Uh, but anyway, we will be back. We will be back with you next week as normal to cover the November 25th, 1996 Nitro as we begin the build to Star K96 right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro.